Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to say thank you to the following people. Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Joshua Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Wettingfield, Nell Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Matthias Aberg, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Steve Perant, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, and Johan Rubstad Lilja. These awesome people have chosen to back our Patreon at the C64 tier, and we are hugely appreciative of the support they offer. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout out, access to our Discord server, and any special releases we put out, and other cool stuff. Stuff, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. It helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to. And now, on with the show. This week, support for Zap to the Past podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. So join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most prized possessions with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ZAPT20. That's ZAPT20, Z-A-P-P-E-D 20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls that are already being shaved by Manscaped Products. Welcome to episode 72 of Zap to the Past. My name is Adrian Mills and I'm joined as ever by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we're going to be starting our look at January 1988 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 33 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles chart that month. So Graham, what we got going on this week? In this blatant Disney character-adorned, IP-infringing Mr. Whippy ice cream van, serving a brain-freeze-inducing mix of fab, knobbly-bobbly and zoom lollies, as well as 99 flake multi-scoop ice cream combos, mint choc chip cornettos, and something called a lolly gobble chop bomb of an episode. We clomp around a free skate-powered solid 3D world looking for gas to release in the slow but somehow impressive Driller, grab our nappies and parachute into the jungle looking to cause trouble with our coconuts in Jack the Nipper 2, desperately try and squeeze an oversized 8-bit dragon through some very tight quarters in the mixed-up Rainbow Dragon, and attempt to rescue our favourite sidekick by wandering around looking at stuff with our magnifying glass in the decidedly Sherlock-inspired Basil the Great Mouse Detective. If that mini milk and chalk ice didn't quite cool you down, and you feel like a strawberry mithy and a couple of screwballs are now the only real 
choice. We take on the side-scrolling and top-down scrolling shooter come platform game antics of the interesting Octopolis, climbing our armoured lollipop on a quest to smash the forces of Venom in the somewhat lumpen mask, recoiling horror at the splashy 8-bit bog-blocking turd that has clogged the drains in the rubbish gunboat, before finally heading to US Marine Boot Camp to tackle the assault course shooting ranges and fist fights in the arcade conversion of Combat School. A smaller range of games in the 8-bit toilet to be sure. Indeed, some of these are actually quite futuristic. Sadly, there are still skid marks and those require a strong bleach. Awesome. Awesome or not, I don't know. It's, you know, it's fewer games. That's good. My brain has been thanking me this week. I have to say that. Um, I've got to rewrite the entire speech at the beginning now to accommodate less games, but only one less, so maybe two. Yeah, only one. It's all right. It doesn't matter. Um, just as an aside, by the way, and something I just want to put out to our listeners, this has got nothing to do with Commodore 64 or anything, but it does have something to do with sort of retro stuff. I'm being haunted by a pigeon. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, that is outside uh, my house that is singing a Robert Palmer song. Um, she's all good loving. This she's got. She's all good loving. She's got whatever that is. She's all. It's that Robert Palmer song. It just keeps okay. every minute or so, minute or two. It just keeps. It just keeps doing this, and it's been doing it for like about three or four days. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I pointed out to my partner. She was like, "Yeah, it kind of does sound like it." I went, yeah, and as I walked, we went for a walk, and just as I was walking away, I could hear in the background was. Oh, no, so, that's the season for it. So it's it's very strange. So um, is anybody else being haunted by, you know, 80s singing animals at the moment? Because um, I am. <laughs> and, and it's not it's not great. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. All I have around where I live is what I call the hoo-hoo birds. <laughs> because they just go, hoo-hoo. So, so you're being haunted by the um, the Rolling Stones <laughs> birds. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all I get. And I'm like, I'm going to throw the biggest rock at your nest, <laughs> smash the eggs of the birds, so you cannot. I'm going full blown bloody. You know, you remember that? Um, what's that movie with that? Um, You're going full down. Last of the Mohicans. Oh, last I'm like, of the I'm going to, I'm going to end your seed, bird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat the heart of the, eat the heart of your bird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going full mock. Was it mock? Why I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you can tell it's summer and it's hot. <laughs> Everyone's just like, yeah, yeah. we gone mad. It has gone very, very mad. Oh, it's, yeah, but this pigeon <laughs> doing my head in. I feel sorry um, for you. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Thanks for that. Anyway, that was a bit of a digression. Let's get. Should we look? Should we talk about the cover? For I think we have to because it's it? not classically great. <laughs> well, it's got He Man. It's got Dolph Rundgren on the front and a it car has. and a skater. And it has. That, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a not- bit of a mishmash. There's Outrun in there. There's Skate or Die. There's Happy Darth. <laughs> Happy Darth. Happy Darth, Adrian. <laughs> Happy Darth to you and yours. <laughs> Happy Darth. <laughs> oh, may the Happy Darth shine upon you. <laughs> Is that how they say Christmas in Wales? Happy Christmas in Wales. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Happy Darth. Happy Darth. <laughs> but he is. What's he doing smiling? Not right. Because they've turned his triangle upside down. <sighs> it's just it's such a subtle change. Nobody, <laughs> no nobody one, wants no that. One turns, no one turns Darth's triangle upside down. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, especially when it's uh, a cheese single. It is. It, it, that's how he eats, apparently. That's how he <laughs> just eats. does everything in triangle form. He has yeah, to fit exactly. it through that gap. Exactly. Tobler owns his favourite chocolate, I don't doubt. <laughs> he hates Baby Bell. <laughs> 
He's like, I, I don't like round cheese. <laughs> can't fit. I can't fit it in my mouth shape. Dairyly triangles is the only thing I accept. <laughs> uh, okay, but, Darth. Yeah, but Niche, it's, the Christmas, okay. it's the Christmas special. This was ten Deutsch marks, by the way. Is that? How do, oh, of course it was. Yeah, because that's it's, it's one. Is that must be about two pound in the UK then? I didn't it must realize. Be, that yeah, two pound in the UK and Deutsch mark ten. I know it's weird that they don't put the because on the front cover they've got over six thousand pounds worth of competition prizes, but they don't put that in Deutsch marks, do they? What would that be? A quick conversion in my head would be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's plenty Many of Deutschmarks. What well, in in German? What they say is it's uh, uh, a lot of Deutschmarks. <laughs> a lot of und- yeah, whatever. Uh, so it's not a great cover, is it? There's a no. giant free poster as well. They didn't do very well in the last Christmas cover, if I think rightly. No, they didn't. And think rightly is a very Coronation Street thing to say. I don't know why I said that, but mm. I did, I did think you look rightly. at the? Uh, did you look at the free poster? I didn't look at the free poster. It's what a calendar. Was it? It's a double-sided one. On one side, you would never put up. It's the combat school advert oh, with a calendar just, at the bottom promotion. No, no. And the other, the other is a typical Oliver Frey mishmash of flying aliens, flying alien centaur robot things fighting barbarians on Pegasi. Okay. That's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> right. Okay. There you go. Okay. It's, it's very works. good. I mean, it's it's very good, Oliver Frey. It's much better than the cover. Um, it is, because I like the fact that they're in snow. I do like the fact that there's, there's a snowboarder, car in snow. He's, he's ankle deep in he's snow. He's a skateboarder. It's not a snowboarder. It's a, well, he's a skateboarder in snow. That's not going to work, is it? <laughs> not. As soon as those wheels get touched down, he's going flying. He's right, going right to be in pain. Uh, you know, masters of the universe. And, and look at the weight of that skater's bulge. You can see it <laughs> like, lowering down his trousers. That's that he's he's heavy with that. It could be wearing a mappy. He's, <laughs> he's burdened with mappy bulge. <laughs> mappy bulge. Happy da mappy bulge. <laughs> happy da mappy bulge. So they say happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh. <laughs> on that, that took, note. That took a linguistic twist. Okay. <laughs> on that on that note. Okay. On that go. bombshell. That's the cover. Should we move into some games? I think, I think please. I think we should. Uh, let's get to our first one then. And our first one, it's a it's a sizzler. It's a ninety six percent. It is Driller. Is this right? Was it fourteen ninety five? Did I write this down right? Good lord, yeah, fourteen ninety five on yes, cassette, seventeen ninety five on, cassette, yeah, on yeah, disc. Whew, that's expensive. It's better be worth heavy. it. Heavy. That's heavy. It is right, Driller. Uh, it's a new year, and Freescape is unleashed upon us in the form of Driller. Proper filled in three D, Graham. Proper filled in three dimensional. I know. Absolutely graphics. solid. Yeah, solid, solid 3D, 3D solid. As dots. <laughs> uh, none of your vectors here. No, it's filled in and solid, if a little angular and a little slow. So filled in and solid sounds like a like a banker group or a <laughs> solicitor firm. I was thinking more of a sort of an 80s sort of rap combo. <laughs> MC filled in and DC. D- DC. Oh, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, well, anyway, well, yes. uh, as with all these things, there's always a trade-off, isn't there, between ambition and speed. 
because this has very little of that. <laughs> but we'll come to that in a, in a moment, slowly. We'll anyway, come to that hard, slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find credits, concrete credits for this. The version seems, but the, the other versions seem to be made by Chris Andrew, Sean Ellis, and Stephen Northcott, Spectrum Amstrad, Amiga, and things like that. So I'm, I'm, with no evidence to the contrary, I'm going to say they're responsible for this. They're probably the people who wrote the Freescape engine. I don't know. If I'm wrong, please let me know. But I couldn't find anything. I did have a search, but couldn't find anything. Uh, so the plot, the plot of this game, Evath has two moons, Mitral and Tricuspid, um, which are, have been named after valves in the human heart. It's strange. Yes, they have. Yeah. Well, well spotted. No, indeed. I'd heard Tricuspid. I didn't know Mitral, but yeah, I'd heard of Tricuspid. Uh, I actually thought Tricuspid was a tooth, but um, I knew it was something to do with the body. Turns God, out it's, it's a not. valve in the heart. Uh, Mitral has been heavily mined by the Ketars. Um, who have now legged it and left the moon <laughs> in a very precarious state. The Ketars. The Ketars. Oh, the Ketars, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Jean-Michel Jao was like well employing these guys. <laughs> he was mining the shit out of Mitral. Um, <laughs> so that's the way he got the power for his laser harp. Bow, bow, bow. Yes, he did. Sorry. He's yeah. powered by... Yeah, the, the stuff he got from Mistral. Mistral, Mistral power. Mistral. Um, anyway, there's a massive buildup of gas under the surface. Sounds familiar to me. Um, which needs to be vented into space. Yep, yep. Every, Christ- every Christmas that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, and this is the Christmas issue. Because should it explode, it will blast Evath out of its orbit and kill everyone on the planet. To add further terror to this already terrifying premise, a meteor is on collision course with Mistral and will hit it in four hours, thus igniting the gas killing everybody so that's the plot. so that's the plot your <laughs> job then is to gain access to the 18 areas on the moon figure out where the best place to vent the gases in each area and place a drilling station to do just that and you've got you've got to do all this in just four hours of real time play so to do this you navigate your excavation probe um, and that's what you sort of control around the world in first person 3d controlling your craft with a combination of joystick and keyboard. The basic movement is forward, backwards, and turn left and right. There's a cursor in the center of the screen, and a tap of the space bar switches uh, you to aim mode, where you can move the crosshair around and shoot at stuff with a tap of the fire button. You can look up and down with P and L, tilt left and right with less than and greater than. You can increase the amount you move forward and backward each step with S and X, and also the angle you turn with A and Z. You can also rise and lower yourself vertically with R and F. Do a U-turn with U, place a drill with D, and cancel the drilling, if in the wrong place, with C. There you go. There's your keyboard controls. If you don't know how to play this, you do now. You, do uh, you can also bring up an information screen. Press I, I think it is, where you can save and load the game, quit, and also toggle between music and sound effects, along with get inf- getting information on the zone you're in, how many zones you've cleared, how much gas you've drilled in that zone, and so on and so forth. There's quite a lot of controls here, but they choose good keys to, to, to do them with. Rise and fall is R and F. D is for drill, C is for cancel, so on and so on. That, that's good. You know, it, we've said this about some flight simulators where they've chosen good keys, um, you know, obvious keys, and they've done that here. So I'm happy to see Makes that. Makes sense to do it that way. It does, yes. And also the speed of the game means you are never really overwhelmed with what is going on. So the fact that it's <laughs> slow actually helps a certain degree to, because it's all, you know, trying to figure out what to do. So as you move about the world, you might also find a jet that's been left on the surface, and you can dock with this and fly it around should you wish to. You'll also come across laser towers, which will shoot you on sight, and this will damage you, and this can be seen on your UI. So the game is split into thirds, with the top two thirds of the screen taken up with your 3D view of the world, and the bottom third is the UI. There's plenty to take in from this 
section uh, with with a graphic of the craft you are in in the top middle. There's underneath is your position in 3D space with X, Y, and Z coordinates. There's a small window to show whether you are in movement or attack mode. You can also see how many sh- how much shields you have left uh, and energy you have in the bottom left, and also uh, what you will move with each movement with the step and angle values. There's also a small window telling you which section sector you are in as well. There's loads of info. Um, and there's also a uh, there's this light bar as well that fills up, telling you how long it's taking to process your your maneuver, which is kind of weird. But you know, this game takes a while to do stuff at times. Anyway, the game starts with you in a rather empty area with no threat, uh, and moving to the left. So if you look there, as you start, look to the left. There's a gap you can go through, sort of in this wall. And if you turn, look through that, and go to the left, there's a massive X on the floor, huge X, and it literally X marks the spot. So this is just you know t- showing you how to do so. You place your drill. Uh, there and boom that's it you've, you've vented the gas in area one that's the first area done 17 to go and that's it that's basically this game so you can see a doorway in the walls in either side in the way that this sort of sort of landscape is mapped there's some black doorways there's also a building you can go in and in there you can get extra energy if you can re- you know refuel and all that sort of stuff but it's here that the speed becomes an issue now everybody that's played drill you know it, it there's no getting around it and if you try to, it would take a good couple of hours because this runs at about one frame per second. All right. And that's that's what it runs at. There's no there's no way around that. It it does drag after a while. So you've really got to commit to this, to getting on with this. But you know, with a one megahertz processor, what exactly do you expect? It's not gonna, you know, we're moving full 3D graphics around in. And it does, you know, it works, I guess. The 3D filled in buildings and the like are a good first outing for the Freescape engine. And they'll go on, and this will go on to power lots of other games. Um, you know, and it's, and it's a sign of things to come. They've got loads of, you know, there was Dark Side, what was the Total Eclipse. There's yeah, quite a few right. ones that came out. Um, and they, even, I think, towards the end, they actually release a uh, Create Your Own Driller game. Yeah, they thing. did the release the entire engine for free, yeah. Yeah, um, and you could then make your own games in it. So that's quite you know, it's quite impressive that this engine is, is coming along like this. And it shows you in 1988 where technology sort of is going. Um, so that's quite good. But, you know, the slowness, it grates. It really starts to drag after a while. As a game itself, it, it reminded me of uh, Tau Ceti. Um, yeah, in, yeah. In that, that. Moving around in an alien environment in 3D. Obviously, there's more to this because Tau Ceti was that small window, wasn't it? This has the full on, you know, full two, two, you know, most two thirds of the top of the screen are all these 3D visuals and tilting and panning. And that's actually quite advanced, you know, being able to look up, look down. You know, Doom never allowed you to do that. Let's let's face it. Doom, when it came True. out, the Wolfenstein games, they could, you couldn't look up and down in them. You just, you know, you, you went forward and back and left and right. That was it. And so, you know, it's it's not bad. It's just slow. And they, they sort of mentioned Mercenary as a sort of another game that sort of, you know, did a lot of things that this does. But this felt more like Tau Ceti to me, uh, just with a bigger 3D view. I do need to mention, though, one of the things I do need to mention is here we are, day one of 1988, and we might have won off, if not, a certainly contender for best music of the year. Because Matt Gray has come in and produced yeah, a 15-minute yeah, yeah. epic tune that actually helps the game in its speed. Because that low drone, that starting drone, and the way it provides it, it's, you know, a really solid, very atmospheric ambience to the entire game so it doesn't actually because of that slowness of the the pace of that music kind of just the feel of the game feels coherent there's a there's you know that's the speed of it doesn't feel actually okay overbearing i think that you you turn it to sound effects and the game feels really leaden has that music playing though and there's, there's a more it kind of fits and kind of aids that feeling to it it feels almost purposeful it's carpenter esque I thought also uh, the way it builds and grows and the way that drum beat comes in towards the end, it's all but also Knucklebusters-esque. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. very similar in tone and theme, which I think is along that. And it's, it's really good. And it, it to me, that music elevates. It's what is, you know, a rather dull 
but technically very clever game to a, to a higher level. It can't do everything, though, to get over the speed of the game, but it helps. And it'll probably be a strong contender come the end of the year in the best audio category. Driller is one of those moments. It's Everyone knows it. You try and I think you want to like it because of what it's trying to do rather than, okay, it, I mean, 96% is crazy high, um, I think, for what is essentially a, um, you know, a, a, an ambitious, if flawed, title that's pushing things. But again, you know, it's maybe is it pushing things too far? Is, is the gameplay suffering because of the, you know, the ambition? And I think it does. The speed gets in the way. And, and you know, only it being able to move 60 times a minute, that's not great. Um, but it is what it is. It's, uh, you know, we'll see how this per- performs. This, I mean, uh, supposedly there's loads of clever stuff as you move around it and you're figuring out puzzles and all that kind of stuff. But it's just you've got to get over that hump with the speed. And I, I, I stuck the emulator on at like 300%. And at that point, it actually starts to feel okay. But... <laughs> 300% speed speed boost is kind of what it needs to actually start to feel all right. It's, I don't know, it's an important game, this, I think, for where graphics and visuals and computer games and things are, start, are going to go because you're starting to get this. But, but, you know, we've seen this, I think, 3D done better in things like Lucasfilm games, The Eidolon, Coronas Rift, those kind of things, which I think did it better, um, but maybe not as technically, but I don't know. I, I'm not going to, I don't know the technical stuff behind it, but there's something there. I just found it a bit too slow to really be totally engrossing. What about you? Um, the ambition to create a large scale navigable 3D filled polyworld and a game engine to do it is bold, isn't it? It's very bold. Yes, very. Yeah. And on the C64, like, like crazy bold. Um, the idea of having a 3D world to explore like this in first person 3D, which is what it is, it's kind of way ahead of its time. It is, isn't it? I mean, it is way ahead of its time. And I think that's something that's both a blessing and a curse for this. Freescape is without doubt an achievement and all concerned in there should be patted on the back, really, shouldn't they? For their collective, like crazy cleverness. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. but you know, just for a minute, I'm just thinking like just... As a spike, let's just not forget about Sentinel, which kind of did this yeah. 3D explorable world faster than Driller did. Okay, there's that. Is it, was um, it faster? I think, well, I think it was in the way you moved the screen around. And stuff. Anyway. Maybe. My feeling is that the ambition of this engine far exceeded the playability of the game. It's technically adept, but it runs painfully slow. Of course it does. We know that. Um, in their review, Zap state that um, this doesn't detract from the game because it's in of itself, quite slow-paced anyway and quite thinky. It's a thinky game, so you, know, you need time to think and it's going to be slow and plodding, that's what you expect. But this is an exploration game and that does require movement and that movement is painfully, horribly slow. And for me, that was a problem. It was mm-hmm. a problem back then and it was a problem now. Yeah. But okay, but even for, let's just for a minute, let's put the slowness aside. Let's imagine it's not slow and it's a fast game and whatever the game is, let's have a look at the game underneath. So exploring the 3D world, picking up things, Solving puzzles and, dr- and drilling in the right places, etc. All in the first person. That's not a bad thing to do. That's that's pretty cool. And there's tons of games that do a similar thing nowadays. So the idea that 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 way of playing games and the way it plays out is is you know that's okay. That that it worked out pretty good in the end. Once the CPU power caught up with that idea, the UI is quite good on this. Um, there's some nice details giving you a sense of control. You're on a mission. You know you got a, a goal and a, and all of that. And that all of that kind of works really nicely. The audio, as you've said, is brilliant. There's no way around that. It's absolutely brilliant. This is a really great track. My argument is a little bit, I don't think it suits this game. It feels like it's a scary Halloween type scary game. And maybe that sort of is what they were going for. I don't know. But does that suit a 3D adventure drilling in the rig, drilling in the ground kind of? I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But it is really fab, whatever whatever you think of the Mm. game. 
the soundtrack is amazing for this. It really is a really good soundtrack. It's genuinely brilliant. Um, maybe a little bit over menacing, but I'll let that go because it is really cool. Now, my problem is generally these kind of games never really, at this time, never appealed to me, really. So this is quite a few, there was quite a few games, as you said, that involved the Freescape engine. And none of them really, really appealed to me. So this totally clips. Um, yeah, I think the dark one? side. The dark side. And that for all for the same reasons, they never really appealed to me. Now, I know that this has got quite a following, This both this and the other games. Now, I, I genuinely didn't get into the whole FPS thing, I have to say. And as an aside, as if I take a step back, I didn't get into the whole sort of first-person kind of game until they came of age a bit. So GoldenEye on the N64 and things like that, really, for me, was where it really started to feel like the first-person games actually had a kind of a thing. I know there was other variations of that up to that point a little bit, but GoldenEye for me was the kind of the, a, a changeover point when it was actually, it started to feel like there was there was really more to the power of this than, than what we were presented with in Driller and the variants that even appeared on the Amiga later. And so they never really got me hooked to any of these games. That includes Driller and all the others. They never really did. So I do like the idea of Freescape and that engine. And I do like the idea of Driller. I just think that it's just painfully difficult and rendered into difficulty on the C64. And that's just because, and even with the latest demos that you see now where they some of the 3D technology that they're implementing in the demos is amazing to look at. You know, this crazy code stuff. What they were going for at this particular time was crazily mm. ambitious on a C64. And remember, this is, I think, one load as well. So oh, yeah, in yeah, one it load, is, yeah. it's amazing. But you no, know, Tau like you say, was one load as well. And Mercenary was one load. The scope and the idea of this 3D world they're going into is, 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 is amazingly brave. And I get the idea that this game was brave and 3D you know, filled in poly is amazing. My issue with this game is is that that is a hindrance for the experience for people, for some players. Um, if you can tolerate that, if you can tolerate that sort of slowness, and there's bound to be people out there that are fine with that, I, I don't doubt that, then you're probably going to have a really good 3D explorer slash adventure slash puzzler on your hands, and you'll go for it, and you and you'll put up with that. You'll put up with a slow trudgery that is this the movement in this game, and it is painfully, painfully slow. But I. For me, I couldn't stand that kind of thing. I don't like that kind of thing. I'm, I like sprite games. I like shooting ups. I like moving things around. And I get that this is important. But for me, I don't like that. This I, I find the idea of this sort of FPS on a C64 at this sort of playing rate. I find it intolerable. This holds nothing for me. I, I don't. I don't like it, and it doesn't appeal to me. I, in retrospect. Looking back now, as a person that's played many FPS games, and you know, and and I can see where it was heading, and I totally get that, and that's, that's I'm not detracting from the importance of it. Like we talked when we talked about Mitch with the uh, Maniac Mansion and a few other games. In retrospect, we look back and you go, you know what, those games were landmarks because they did a thing. Mm-hmm. But I decided when I played this game to switch back into a fairly simple mode. I just played this game just to be playing a game. I loaded it up like an like I would have done. Now, I'm loading this game up, Driller. And I, in my mind, weirdly, I'd attributed some of the the zap, the sort of zap. Remember the zap demo with this, the the um, the 3D that was from um, it was from Sensible when they did that kind of weird 3D thing they did oh, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, that yeah. demo tape. Yeah, and for reasons I can't explain, I attributed that to Driller. I don't know why. I just thought that that was oh, part right, of Driller. Okay. I don't know why. Back then I did. So back then I remember thinking, wow, if a game comes out with 3D as fast as that, that'll be amazing. And then Driller came along with it. Was this slow? chugging 3d it is painful and i think i didn't like driller at the time apart from the music and i don't like it now i thought it was an interesting idea 
and something that I wanted to see back then because it sounded like it was you know freescape this 3D engine I get it now I don't now I totally understand where they were coming from with the importance of it back then I thought it was just too slow to play I thought it was boring and um, because the movement of this engine was so intolerably slow and I I like you I I switched into warp mode um, <laughs> on the emulator to put up to like four five hundred percent new and then it wasn't really that enjoyable but I could think I could have I could have persevered with it at that yeah because it reminded me a little bit more of an amazing being the Amiga sort of a level of stuff and you know not all of that, but the sad thing is the I've said it about vector graphics with the C sixty four the C sixty four processor is not not the processor for rendering three D matrices and three D complexity and three filled in three D polys on a on a six five zero two are you are you having a laugh it's just it's just it's ambition and that's amazing to think of and where it led is a crazy place but at this stage at this time with these games at this hour. No. <laughs> localized no. to my kitchen localized to my kitchen now just I just think now i replayed it and i thought it was boring and slow and the saddest thing is like i said my, my original thought was that that hasn't changed that said the music for driller is brilliant by matt gray it is really brilliant it is basically halloween but it's very very brilliant so mm, it is and I'll, I'd, I'd happily load the game up and listen to the soundtrack many many times it was used in so many demos it's ridiculous I think Sub Zero, yeah. the demo group, used it in like fifty billion demos just alone. <laughs> so because it's so yeah, cool, it's, so. it is a great tune. It really is. The sadness is it's a sadness though. I, I really want it. I really later down the line when the when things become better, exploring three D three D worlds like in Halo, totally cool. This speed, can you imagine Halo played at one frame per second? No, no, and that's no. exactly why this doesn't work <laughs> for me. So no, no. There we go. Slow. I think that's everyone knows it's slow. It's driller in it. Slow. Slow. but of its time and ambition ambition's amazing isn't it ambition led us to the uh the, Sinc- the sinclair c5 <laughs> did it yeah that was stupidity no that was an ambitious thought you know a, a battery-powered vehicle in cities i guess i guess to, yeah, to, to, back, you know, to I guess. avoid fuel and things like that it's amazing thought in practicality you know driving one of them next to a, an articulated lorry that you are yeah. going to shit yourself <laughs> leads to death <laughs> or, or shitting yourself or both Oh, both, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yourself Shitting in, yourself in the moment of death. death. Yeah, yeah. But you could do it at the speed of Driller, just one frame of one, one frame, frame at a second. Time. Shitting yourself. Well, Matt Gray does a really slow wine next to you. Oh, there's an image. I don't know where to go after that. Don't know. Go to the toilet, I think. I think I should. Right, there we go. Driller, it's slow. 96%. I go, ambition, but there you go. There we go. Let's move on quickly. Run like that game. And Graham, you've got the next one. You can tell us all about the joys of Jack the Nipper 2 in Coconut Capers. Yeah, Jack the Nipper 2. Yes. He's back. Yes. He's back. Yes. He's back. In bog form. <laughs> Um, this is obviously from Gremlin Graphics. It's programmed by Andrew Green. The graphics were by Terry Lloyd. Terry Lloyd and the musician was Ben Daglish. Original concept, Greg Holmes. Okay. Following his naughty exploits in Jack the Nipper. Okay. Jack and his family have been exiled to Australia. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, but wasn't another famous Gremlin Graphics character exiled to an island somewhere? Anyway, never mind. Shh, shh. Unhappy with this, Jack has jumped from the plane Using his nappy as a parachute, he finds himself in the middle of the African jungle, surrounded by dangerous animals and natives. His father is also 
following close behind him, determined to give his boy good old spanking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's of its time. Jack must cause as much mischief as possible while avoiding the punishment. So that's the nature of the game. It's it's derivative of a couple of things. It's sort of a half. Avid is a Monty, half Jack the Nipper. And the idea of the game is you've got to be naughty in the jungle and essentially raise your, nautom, your naughty answer again and do all that sort of stuff. So I think the game is more of a Monty on the run, Avid is a Monty type affair, really, than with pudgy future night style graphics. I hate the graphics for this. I'm going to tell you that now because I'm going to repeatedly tell you how shit they are. <laughs> The jungle is essentially a maze of brown trees um, with brown ropes in brown land. Brown. It's very brown. It's a brownish jungle ever brown. Jungles are green. Jungles are bloody green. <laughs> They're famous for the greenery, really. Now, yeah. If, if, now, if you look at the um, the way that plants digest sunlight and dis- disperse that through their leaves and such, that process, that scientific process, cr- produces green, not brown. Brown <laughs> is the colour of death. For plants, it's the color of autumn. It's the color of nightmares. Anyway, the jungles are essentially brown in this. Um, <laughs> it's got it's got dark <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's so straight. Um, so Jack in in this game, he doesn't look like a nipper for me. He didn't in the original game. He looked like a baby in a, in a nappy. Yeah, this one he doesn't look like. He looks like an angry bald man in yellow pants. <laughs> <laughs> I've put that. I've got that. Doesn't look like a baby. No. So you no, control Jack. Jack the Nipper, Jack the AOP, Jack the Angry Bald Guy. I'm not sure what Jack is. With Jack your joystick, <laughs> Jack Charlton, jumping and wandering around, avoiding picking up things to throw and looking for objects. The principal objects of the game is the same. You ha- you've got two pockets, one which could, which holds your you know weapon, one which holds your things that you can be naughty with, and you can move them around and be naughty. It's not as in this game. It's not quite as obvious that what you have to do with those objects, I'll come to that in a moment though. So like I say, you control Jack with the joystick, you can you jump and wander around, pick up things, throw, look for objects. The design here is to explore, I think. And I guess there's a large but very forgettable map. I was wandering around for ages with this map and quite honestly, I couldn't have told you where I was, what was the purpose and why I was even there. The main issue for me here, and I'll come to the graphics and stuff in a minute, is that the scenario does not match the idea of being naughty. It made sense in an urban environment to smash pots and throw things around and smash things and knock things off shelves and do all that stuff. It makes no sense that Jack would be somehow making a nuisance of himself in the jungle by throwing coconuts at the natives or the animals. It doesn't make no, any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Nature is by its very nature naughty. It yeah, exactly. So the idea of this game is fundamentally flawed. And that is a big problem because the, the nature of Jack Nipper is that you've got a naughty nipper running around doing naughty stuff. Oh, no. And, and you know, raise a naughtyometer by doing naughty stuff. What naughty things are you going to do in the jungle? The one thing they don't do here is set fire to everything. That would be, that's like the ultimate naughtiness because that's like, you, you burn everything down in the jungle. That's going <laughs> to, that's going to, you know, but they don't do that. So you've no. got to go around collecting and trying to figure out the nuances of jungle-related uh, mischiev- mischievity and mis- being mischievous. And that isn't really that, fun and you look don't look like a baby anymore you look a bit like a jelly baby slash oap with yellow pants kind of running around in very future night style graphics so that kind of medium res chunk i think it's the same guy and probably the same team but either way you got that chunk the principal design of the game is the same as well so it doesn't it feels less like jack the nipper more like future night with a, a jelly baby really and that's a problem because it doesn't feel those things combined together don't make for fun. And this is get this game isn't fun. It's no fun. There's no fun attached. 
you spend most of your time hopping about different things, trying to figure out the nuances of where you are with where you are with different enemy types. You're under constant, almost constant attack on, from various different things. It feels like an Arvida Al- Al- a Monty game where you're trying to explore things and pick things up, but it doesn't have the coherence of that either, nor does it have the coherence of a Jack the Nipper game. So it feels like a really weird hybrid of things that don't really work. The graphics don't work. The sound is kind of horrible and doesn't work. It's not Ben Daglish, it's greatest dear. This feels like it was thrown together. Nobody really thought about it that much. It, the levels are quite expansive, so there's a lot of stuff to go at. But having a lot of stuff to go at and it being crap are kind of mutual bedfellows here. I didn't think this was very good. This lacked the sense and fun of the original. And it's all brown and it's all squash and it's all dull to look at and it's all very nice. I don't see how it. I thought it might work. I don't get Jack Nipper. It didn't give me a baby causing trouble in an environment vibe. This gave me a the idea of you being a baby, because in the game, you run around on these platforms, you can jump up and down things, you can fall off platforms and your nappy becomes your parachute like it was for the, the story. You can pick things up, you can do all of those things and all of that sort of stuff. You move around with the joystick, you can jump and you can interact with objects and pick things up, but it doesn't feel coherent. None of it feels really coherent. Um, it doesn't feel like a really logical extension of having a baby in the jungle and being naughty doesn't make sense. It makes no sense, this game. It doesn't work. And like the graphics and like everything else, everything in this game looks like like brown turds. The, the backgrounds look like turds. Everything looks like turds. This game is a big bunch of turd. And I didn't think it was very good at all. Now, it got a, a review in Zap of 72%. And for, for a full price game, I find that obtuse. This game was not very good. And for me, I would have put this more in the sort of 20s to 30s. This game was shocking. It doesn't work. The central premise does not work. A baby in the jungle causing trouble. For who? What, for the lions? <laughs> a baby's going to cause trouble for lions. By doing what? For the, for the natives? By what? throwing coconuts? By doing what? It makes no sense. And I know games don't have to make sense, but contextually, it made sense in the city for this baby to be doing something silly and knocking stuff off shelves and causing trouble and being followed around. The perpetuity of the enemies in this game in the jungle make no sense whatsoever. And because of that, I thought this was shocking and shite. Um, Gremlin graphics, honestly, come on, rubbish. What about you? Yeah, I didn't like this either. It's a strange sequel, this. Um, and, and you're right. Um, you know, naughtiness, being naughty, doing things requires sort of societal norms. And if you don't have societal norms, then what are you actually being naughty against? It, it you know, thematically just doesn't, doesn't work. It, it's like, A, it, it's just a jungle. Things get eaten, things get killed, stuff happens. So, I don't know, it's very strange. It's a strange sequel to the original. It's clear the original team have moved on, and they have. And the people behind Future Night have changed what was a very British original into what I found was a slightly offensive sequel as well. Um, It looks and plays like Future Night with that same kind of visual style. Um, And for some reason, Jack has changed from a baby into a 60-year-old man in shades. Uh, it you know it's it's quite the change. This is much more a traditional mapathon for me kind of game with loads and loads of screens, things to collect and use. And as you progress, and it all plays as you would expect a game like this to play. If you expect if you play Future Night or any of those, climb down ladders, climb up ladders, jump around, find some enemies, map you know flick screen to flick screen to flick screen. You'll get you you may get something out of this if you like these massive mappers delight style of game. But you know if, if this game's not for you, there's nothing here that's gonna that'll make you change. It's not. So, so, and and also that I thought the just something just to bring up the depiction of the native people. I thought it's quite problematic in this day and age. It is a bit, you know. I, I don't like them. They're they're you know they're really tiny in comparison to Jack, who's massive, like a massive 
60-year-old baby. It makes no sense. The scaling and the graphics are all crazy wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jack the Nipper 2, coconut crappers, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't think this was very good at all. It just makes no sense. Thematically, it makes no sense. makes no sense. No, I don't get why they did it. I don't get why they put it in the jungle. Even graphically, they look like they struggled, so... Yeah, I mean, there are many... There's loads of zones and stuff like that, but again, it's just... If you, like I said at the start there, to be naughty, you need societal norms. Yeah. If you don't have them, if you don't have them, if you don't have something to be to rail against to be naughty against then what do you have you don't you're not you're not being naughty no being naughty in the jungle makes no sense no and and that and i found that very problematic for a game that's reliant <laughs> on you being naughty for things yeah exactly don't makes no sense there we go jack the nipper jack the nipper 2 in coconut clappers let's move along 10 quid for that as well Puh! no thank you no smells no. Sm- smells like the contents of his nappy that's what i think for that much money let's move on We have a budget title up next. This is the imaginatively titled Rainbow Dragon. Rainbow Dragon. Uh, I know, it sounds nice, doesn't it? It's a budget Firebird game. It's two quid. It got 41%. And it's a strange thing that sees you trying to guide a dragon who has been trapped inside a magic labyrinth to safety. You've got to basically guide them out. So in order to do this, you've got to solve puzzles and find and, and destroy 10 chests. So that's what you've got to do. That's it. It's just go around the labyrinth, solve puzzles, destroy chests. That's it. It was made by Duck Software. Duck software. Never heard of them. It's got a title screen by Matt Sneep and music by Anthony Lees. He did Last Ninja and then I don't know what happened after that, but AO. Uh, the no. title screen to this is really nice. Uh, it's a really, you know, if you've, if you've actually looked at the title screen, it's really nice. It shows a big red. Very nice. F- you see if you can notice a different problem, though. It shows a, a fierce red dragon. Yes. <laughs> rather than the green of the cover or the game. <laughs> Don't worry yourself too much about the colours. Yeah, I think someone just rang up Matt and just said, uh, we need a picture of a dragon. It's Rainbow Dragon. Just do that. All right, fine. And red was what they got. And they were like, oh, <laughs> we need to be green. I'm not doing any more. <laughs> anyway, when the game loads, we get an interesting title screen with options to start beyond level one, music on or off, control method, joystick or keys, and start. Pressing F7 starts the game. It's also massive, in massive lettering, is Re- Rainbow Dragon. Massive lettering. <laughs> it's massive. Massive. Press Drawly, F7. rastery, colourless. Yeah, it's a rainbow. It's the rainbow, full effect. Taste the rainbow. Taste it. Taste it, Graham. it. Mm, mm, mm. Rainbow. Mm. <laughs> Pressing F7 starts the game, um, and the odd game is presented to you as a chunky but large and fell well we're written it fairly well animated green dragon flies on uh the odd intro sort of yeah this is green dragon flies on in the bottom half of the screen there's nothing around him at this point because then as you stop in the middle the, the labyrinth appears around you and the game starts it's like this weird weird intro and it's at this point that none of it makes any sense None of this. The bottom half of the screen houses the labyrinth, and this is seen side on. And it's kind of reminiscent of Phantom of the Asteroid, except the dragon is massive and the path is narrow. And connection with the size of the labyrinth will cause you to lose energy. So this part of the screen, this bottom half, and focusing on the bottom half of this, we'll get to the top half in a bit. This part of the screen scrolls around and follows you as you move, a la Phantom of the Asteroid. It's kind of like Phantom of the Asteroid, but a bigger sprite. You're a dragon instead of that the, the fat round tongue yeah. guy who was in that. Yeah. And that follows you as you move the labyrinth. Yep. You try and navigate your way around it. The top half of the screen, though, has the four pillars that support the labyrinth. Because, yeah, yeah, sorry, I, f- I forgot to mention that the labyrinth is resting on the cracking pillars. And should they break, the labyrinth will collapse and it's game over. <sighs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Y- you know what that means, don't you? When someone said, when they said rainbow dragon, someone's like, <sighs> <laughs> it's, it's resting on the four it, pillars, man. It's resting on the four pillars of the, of the dragon kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> and they're cracking. 
So yeah, they're going to crack. Yeah, if you press space though, it flicks control to your magic wand on the top half of the screen. And if you put the end of the wand on the cracking pillars, you press fire, it repairs them for a small period. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Rainbow Dragon, man. Yeah. (laughs) What's this called? Rainbow Dragon. But at the end of the world, on the crack of the Yeah, Yeah, there's also some spells in this box off to the right at the top of the screen that you can cast as well. And these are represented on the right of the screen with some icons. And these are a diamond, which is to look for magic in the the, uh, labyrinth. There's a scroll, which means to read a spell. There's some squares in the triangle, which is destroy illusion. And some other squares, which means to restore items of some sort. I didn't understand any of this or what any of it did or what any of it meant or anything. There's also some bars on the left with the letters T, E, C, and M, which relate to the time left. That's T. Energy, which is E. The remaining magic of the dragon and how many chests are left. But C is for magic and M is for chests left. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> no, you've, you've. I think somebody did it wrong in the car. I don't know what's happening here, which is baffling. Anyway, you spend your time squeezing the giant dragon through the narrow maze before flicking back to the top part to repair the pillars and try and figure out what magic to use and when. And it's just boring and dull. Boring, dull, and annoying. The pillars crack at an alarming rate. You're constantly having to switch back. Move your slow moving wand over these things. Press fire to wait for a, a second or two where it goes boop and, and rethings them. Then they instantly starts to crack again. The dragon's too big. It's slow to control. It takes an age to flick from right to left. And while yeah, it's an okay sprite, shall we say? It's okay. It's recognizable as a dragon. It's big, it, but it's not very well. It's not very well shaded. It's got no shade or anything. It's just it's more of a friendly. It's like Pete's dragon, rather than the first one from the cover of the title screen. The maze is really dull. The constant switching to the top half of the screen to repair some pillars of magic is just bewildering and dull. Whatever. There may be some nice touches in the maze and some of the puzzles, but when it's so lethargic to play and meandering to navigate, you just don't want to really engage with this. And even at two quid, there are better, less annoying versions of this sort of game already on the market so rain no dragon is what i said about this damn thing <laughs> um i did not enjoy this i'd never heard of it before and i never will again what about you did you enjoy your time being the rainbow dragon it was a lovely title screen uh, <laughs> lovely lovely i thought in the game decent graphics they were okay it looked like a dragon it moved like a dragon and he's a dragon okay music i suppose anthony lee hasn't done a bad job it's okay but the game controls like a piece of crap it <laughs> felt like a it feels like a step backwards really this game because of the whole up down left right you can't move angularly it's not really clear what you have to do and what what there is and the dragon is too big for the cave and the view you've got which means that it feels like you've got nowhere to move it feels claustrophobic claustrophobia is not a good thing to have in a game with a dragon they tend to not to like that it wasn't clear about the things that you could get the dragon to do because i breathed fire on something which i thought would do something and it didn't after that i couldn't do that again then then you sort of switch between your wand view and you can choose the things at the top and it did it didn't really coordinate and make a lot of sense so the confusing system of controls for the spells and the pillars collapsing and those things and those two things didn't make for a very coherent experience and I suppose the only thing you could say here is if you like mapping games, if you like mapping things, this is it's probably got a fairly extensive map because I managed to sort of flap my way into sort of different areas in this game. <laughs> what a better yeah. description. At one point, it just changed colour on me for no seemingly no yeah, reason. Well, I just I just died in this game. I just I, I was thinking I'm doing okay. I flapped my way to sort of certain points and I was just like, you're dead at the end. Like, what, what did I do? <laughs> um, and I guess I didn't, maybe I didn't flap my way out of the right area or didn't burn. I don't know. I, it wasn't really clear what i was meant to be doing at any given time so because there isn't a decent game under the hood here the graphics and sounds they're they're kind of okay it could have been something maybe but the idea of it being the i like the idea of the pillars and i'd like the idea of it 
The implementation was awful. The dragon did look like a nice sprite. It looked like a big dragon, Pete's dragon kind of dragon, though. Not like a ferocious-looking yeah. dragon, but a yeah, kind exactly, of a friendly-looking, yeah. portly thing that kind of flubbed and flopped around in the caves. The caves did not look like a place where that dragon would end up. <laughs> no. No, because no, exactly. if he did, you know, he's never not going to be able to maneuver around in there. He's going to get trapped, depressed, probably just going to live there for a while. But, you know, dragons live hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. He's going to be awful, angry thing. Yep. Anyway, the rainbow dragon. I, I, I think this is an idea, an idea of a game that never quite germinated. And I think they just went, oh, just release the damn thing. You've got a rainbow. Has it got a dragon in it? Yeah. Does it feature rainbows? Uh, I suppose it's different colours. Yeah, it's a rainbow dragon then. Dope. Two quid, 41%, about right. Maybe I'd have given it maybe less because I thought I don't think there was a lot of game to it. But I, did, I didn't enjoy my time with it. I thought it was pretty crap. I'd never come across it before either. So a whole new experience for me, this one. Awful. Yeah, a negative one. Mm. As they are. There you go. Rainbow Dragon. <laughs> don't know. Is that, is that the name? That's not the name of the uh, Greenpeace boat, is it? That's that was the Rainbow Warrior. Oh, yeah. That's right. Rainbow Dragon would have been cooler, though. Yeah, Maybe. it would have sunk just as quick. <laughs> it would. It's a pesky friend <laughs> getting at it. Maybe, possibly, allegedly. I don't know whether they did or not. We anyway, don't know who did what. Let's flap on out of this labyrinth before those pillars collapse around us and move on to our last game of this section. And Graham... You have the pleasure, perhaps, of telling us all about Basil, the Great Mouse Detective. Another game from Gremlin Graphics. Mm -hmm. This time coded by Bob Armour, I think that's the name. The graphics are just by John. Musicians, again, is Ben Douglas. It's the the Gremlin team. Um, And this is a Disney license that they'd acquired. So uh, this was a big film. This was the first film after... The Black Cauldron, I think, for Disney. Mm. Um, so, and it was quite a big success for them. It was, you know, it was a it was a big play on a theme for them, but it was a success. So, this was a licensed game. Now, licensed games haven't fared so well. Let's see how this one does. Let's just, you know, okay, let's see how they do. Good on them. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> Basil the Great Mouse Detective. It was nine ninety nine. This it got seventy seven percent from the Zappers. Pay for that license. Got to pay for uh, that license. Exactly. Basil the Great Mouse Detective lives in the basement of two twenty one B Baker Street. I've been there recently, actually. There's a policeman stood outside the door and outside the museum there all the time because it's like a touristy thing. I actually had a, uh, a crepe. Uh, you could say crap. I say crepe <laughs> outside of that, but that, let's just shh. Anyway. Um, you just tempted so, the policeman. <laughs> Arrest me. Arrest hey, me, you, dog. Come here. Hey, I felt like going to Indiana Jones and come here. Gunner, come here. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, he lives there. And it's apparently the greatest mouse detective. This is all a very, it's obviously it's very similar to Sherlock Holmes and all of that. So his attempts to solve a recent case have led to his trusty sidekick being kidnapped. The case that he's on will lead Basil through the seedy waterfront district of London, through to the backwater sewers, and finally to confront the kidnapper and aggressor himself, uh, Professor Rattigan. And it follows the similar, similar, not the same, similar plot to the Disney film. So you've got to rescue your sidekick, Mr. Dawson, Dr. Dawson, by collecting the five clues from the three scenarios you find yourself in. Those are the shops, the docks of London, uh, shops and docks of London, sorry, the London sewers and Rattigan's den. In the game, you, uh, in the so in this game, Dr. Dawson, the Watson character in Sherlock Holmes, um, really, so he's kind of Watson to your Sherlock Holmes, um, has been kidnapped and you've got to try and rescue him. So you play as Basil and you've got to use your joystick to control your Basil character to, tra- to traverse the three scenarios in the game, finding clues to aid you in your rescue attempt. This sees you clambering across platforms and entering houses through the letterboxes um, to try and uh, enter these areas to try and find more clues. Here, you can use a space bar in this game to examine objects such as jam jars, tin cans, chests, carpet bags, 
which will, if of interest, appear under your magnifying glass at the foot of the screen. As you examine, a red drop symbol will flash and you can press up or down to either pick up the object up or drop the object, depending on what you want to do. You do it with the fire button. The key thing in this game is to find the clues, which of which there are five per level, to help you get to the next level. To find the five and onto the next level, you will go. You can carry up to five objects at once, and you can use your magnifying glass to identify any false clues. There's eight false clues in each scenario, and you need to weed those out by pressing the question mark on the keyboard. The magnifying glass will tell you what is real and what is false. So you've got to basically almost um, impossible mission style, navigate your way around, search search the clues and find the ones that are real and ones are false. You can also um, find in, when you search the objects, you can find cheese, which boosts your energy because your energy is constantly depleted. I'll come to the whole pain of the constant, the constant <laughs> depletion of your energy in a minute. Um, you also pick up mouse traps, which you can use to store in your pockets and you can use against Rattigan's minions and you press T to use those. And if it, you find nothing, well, there's nothing in there. All the while... In this game, you are attacked, and I'm going to say this, you're not just attacked, you are followed and tracked by the evil minions of Professor Rattigan. And so you're constantly under attack. Now, we've said many times before, one of the key things about these exploratory games is that you do not constantly attack the protagonist because that's really stupid. It's really stupid in a game like this, Adrian. It's really stupid because it <laughs> makes it really annoying to play because you constantly your energy is constantly going down, and it's and it's not just not like these things are in in a classic sort of um, manic minor style on a platform going left and right, left and right. These things will follow you and and literally hover at your sprite location across wherever you are, so you can you can bit ominously real very rarely avoid them. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. I think that's a big problem. So yep. So the game revolves around you, obviously, making your way through the various, the three areas, finding the clues, you find, find clues, and then eventually you end up outside Rattigan's and you can attack sort of Rattigan and, and do those things. And that, that is similar to the film. But I'm going to actually draw a line between the film and the game because this is a license that involves the film and involves the characters and involves the, you know, the brouhaha. But this game is, is a very poor attempt at making anything lively out of that license and um, because this falls back on bor- very borrowed boring techniques for gremlin graphics which is a crappy platform game where you're jumping around entering envelope uh, sorry entering um letterboxes and climbing up clambering on platforms and searching for things this is akin to avi design monty again and this isn't that dissimilar to the previous gremlin graphics game there's a theme developing here i think so it follows a fairly simple idea but it overcomplicates things in this game with really stupid key commands and silly key command logic. The endless grind of the enemies is really annoying in this. They're constantly at you. They're constantly taking your energy away, and you will die. You've only got one life in this game, so if you die, you're dead. So, so you have to really think about that. And that the, over this, the course of this, the way this game works, that does not work for this game. This game needed lives. It needed lives, not just one life. The graphics are bitty and brown there's loads again it's just a game full of gremlin brown i'm going to call it gremlin brown because that's what it is this <laughs> is a game can. full of gremlin that's copyrighted that's copyrighted by a uh, games workshop gremlin brown texture like brown <laughs> texture through like the brown. ages they really like brown so there's so much brown going on the endless grind of the enemies is stupid in this game the graphics are generally kind of okay but they are bitty and brown there's a lack of definition between the characters you look like a kind of version of Basil, a mouse, and there are characters in it that look like m- mice by process of scale, but they're just kind of, there's no def- there's no real characterization between the different types. They're just things that are getting in your way. 
and annoy you in this game. There's, there's no real you know, definition. And when we come to a game later, I think it's Octopolis, which has a very clear definition between enemy types and who you are. We'll talk about that maybe later. Anyway, so because of the lack of definition, this felt to me like it might have been built with the Future Night engine. This did have a, a real a real feel about that, and so did the previous game, really. The characters do kind of look like the central thematic, I suppose. They kind of look like a basil mouse and a ratigan thing. But th- that's basically saying that they look like a mouse and a rat. <laughs> now, those are the most derivative creatures on Earth. It's like saying, no, draw a rabbit. Does it look like that rabbit or that rabbit? Rabbits look like rabbits and mice look like mice and rats. There's no differentiation really here. A mouse and a rat and these things look like what they are. But I suppose it at least matches the, it sort of matches the Disney aesthetic. The problem with the Disney movie of Basil the Great Mouse Detective is that it was derivative of something that didn't quite work. Yes, it was Sherlock Holmes with a mouse and all of those things, but it, it just kind of didn't work. It was in that period where Disney movies just didn't quite work very well. Fox and the Hound and Black Cauldron and this one, they just didn't, they weren't quite there yet. They weren't quite getting it. There was something not quite right about them. This is the better one of those, but it doesn't quite work. And this, it really follows the aesthetic. So that problem is persistent in this game. This game doesn't know where it needs to be. So you end up with a boring platformer where you're running around, picking up objects and searching for things, sort of impossible mission style, which makes no sense in the, in the context of this game, in order to progress to a point when you wouldn't want to be there. So you're just really doing the same thing a lot. It doesn't feel like any fun. The problem here, the key problem is this game is not fun. It's actually pretty boring. Jumping around and avoiding enemies quickly becomes a chore because you're constantly energy drained. And the central conceit is repetitive. Remember, you've got to do what I'm doing to find the five objects, go to the next level. I know there's only three scenarios, but you've got to find the five objects, navigate the eight fake objects, and do all of that stuff repeatedly over and over again. It's dull, 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 dull. The main music is okay in this, I suppose. I thought it was shrill. It gets kind of, it reaches the kind of point where outside the, uh, the pigeons were sort of, Looking at each other angrily, thinking, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna scrag you in a minute." Well done, <laughs> you screechy weirdo. So it's very shrill. In game, the sounds are kind of okay. It's just the core problem here is this game is not any fun. A platform game without fun. Why would you play this? If you could play Monty on the Run, which is a way better version of any of these games, whether it's this one or the others, the, the problems are that when they overcomplicate things, and Gremlins seem to do this a lot. Throw loads of ideas in, overcomplicate things. It doesn't make for a good pudding. You know what? Bananas and custard is just bananas and custard. (laughs) And it's lovely and delicious. It does not need lots of extra ingredients. And I think this is a problem here. They had to do that because it's a Disney license. It makes no sense. And because of that, it's poor. And the poorness of this is a shock, really. I think this is a really bad license. It got a high percentage, I think. Because yes. in the reviews, the, zap, the, the zappers all said, yeah, graphics are okay, but you know what? You can go with it. It's got, you've got some to explore. I don't think that's really a fair review of this. I would put this against uh, Monty on the Run and say, you know what? If you aren't doing a Disney game where you're being chased by something like Monty on the Run, you're doing something wrong because that's fundamentally every Disney movie is about the main character being chased by something or trying to find something. Monty on the Run would have been a much better proposition if you substituted Monty for this uh, mouse character, this Basil character. It makes more sense. But what do I know? Retrospectively, <laughs> we can all do things, can't we? Absolutely. I thought, I thought just, it just annoyed me. Another annoying Gremlin game. So, no, not good. What about you? Yeah, I'm not going to argue with anything you said. It's another flick screen multi-item arcade adventure in fact, the second in four games so far. Um, it's very brown, this, as you noted. Very brown. So brown. Uh, but the, I thought the sprites were okay for a little blocky. The side graphics were quite nice, I thought, though, with the, the sort of uh, portraits of the different characters from the film. 
they're all right. It's it's not. It's right. It's not that it's a bad game. It's not that it's programmed badly. So it's just if you're into this kind of flick screen maps mapping stuff, and this half of the podcast is right up your alley. But this feels like Jack the Nipper two with different graphics. Wander, collect, try and figure out where to use the items. Yeah, absolutely. Each to get health back. Bit of jumping. Basic platforming. Scamper through letterboxes. Although I did think that was quite a nice touch. I did like that bit. But there's little else to bring you back to it, unless this is the kind of game for you. And we've got so many of these now. There's there's little in this to make you want to diss over countless other variants of the genre. So it is what it is. It's just there's another a lot of loading in this game as well. Yeah, there was a lot of loading. You know, for me, it, it it does not take a detective to work out that this is not up to snuff. That's the Very that's good. what I thought. So it's this and Jack the Nipper too. It's just the same game. Well, it's Professor Moriarty is the engineer behind both of them. We should have figured that out really. <laughs> Damn him. Damn you, Moriarty. <laughs> MoriartyGames.com. <laughs> <laughs> Moriarty Software. <laughs> Guaranteed to make you mad. <laughs> Absolutely. And then try to take over the world. Terrible. Damn you, Moriarty. You are the nemesis. Did you watch, actually, as an aside, have you actually watched Basil the Great Mouse Detective? When was the last time you saw that movie? Oh, in the 80s. Well, I watched it for this podcast because I'm dedicated like that. You are dedicated. And I, and, and I tell you, the, the actual movie is really, really good. Um, it's a really classically, I think one of the last classically animated Disney movies of that time. Yeah, it is. I think it is the last. Yeah, and there, it, it's very, it's like the Rescuers. If you like Rescuers, you'll you'll like it. And I'm just saying that because obviously there's a lot of love goes into the, some of these Disney movies at this particular time during the transition, the painful transition of Disney. This was one of the great love, when they were, the animators really put their love into the animation and stuff like that. And it feels a lot like a sort of a weird Rescuers almost sequel in a, in a weird way. It's such an amazing thing to watch. So I'd recommend you go and watch it. Just don't play this game afterwards because you'll you want to <laughs> smash your own teeth out. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to load up this again. Not ever. Yeah. Not it's toilet ever. paper. No, it's toilet paper. No, don't don't do it. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, there we go. There's our first four games. We're going to go take a break, wet our whistles, and then we will be coming back <laughs> after after this quick break. We'll be back. Whoop. <coughs> when I can speak, <laughs> we'll be looking at singles, the single charts from January 1988. So, uh, yeah, see you in a moment. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And 
there you go. We are back. We promised we would be, and here we are. Now let's get into singles in January 1988. Oh, just if you've missed the thing, and you're expecting albums as well, albums are next week. We've yes, had, we've had to split uh, it out. Yeah, just we're, we're killing ourselves, <laughs> killing ourselves <laughs> softly with with these games. Um, to paraphrase a song, um, so we're slowing things down. There's less games, so we just yeah, you know, that's what it is. It's singles this week, anyways. So let's get into them. Uh, number one singles as ever. For the first two weeks of the month, always on my mind by Pet Shop Boys. Um, it's we, not on my mind always, but I get no, it. I like it here. We discussed the uh, the possible controversy around that and how they kept what was it off number one? I can't remember. Was it Rick Rick, uh, Rick Astley? Yeah, yeah. When I fall in love. Oh yeah, because they released the original, didn't they? Yes, they did. Diabolical. Kicking that from the number one spot was "Heaven Is a Place on Earth" by Belinda Carlisle for one week. Good song. Good, Good song. song. We like Good that. Song. Yeah. Before. That was ousted uh, by another female artist, uh, and that was I Think We Are Alone Now from good Tiffany. Yeah. yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's a good pop tune. It is. Originally recorded by Tommy James and the Shondells back in, I think, 1964, I think. Oh. Tiffany's last, last name is Darwish, which I'm sure that's – I remember it from a film. Darwish. Dar- Darwish, yeah. I want to say it's um, an alien. I can't think what it is anyway. Not Welsh for Happy Easter. <laughs> Anyway, she was 15 years old when that song was released. Um, 16 when the album went to number one. It's crazy, isn't it? That she was like yes. that age, making her the youngest female singer to top the US album charts and also the first singer born in the 70s to hit the top spot, which is interesting. I don't know that. That doesn't make sense, the last part, but okay, I'm going to go with it because it's from Wikipedia. Anyway, um, song well, facts obviously, she was, if it's 1988, she was born in 1972, wasn't she? Yeah, it makes it makes sense. I just didn't realise Tiffany was. I, I remember it appearing in the UK. I don't remember getting a lot of traction in the UK. Now I remember the song was popular. I think we're. Oh, alone every, now. I remember being everywhere. No, there's a there's a slew of big jumpers on the back of this record. Yeah, yeah, but in at number 87, you've lost that loving feeling from the Righteous Brothers. The no mystery idea. is to what it's it, that's been in the top 10 in the UK three times. So I don't it's know just why. milking it, just milking it. Go away, leave space for massive, others. Massive milk. Uh, number 95, My Baby Shark and Shag by the Tams. Continuing the, the Tams, shag, the, shagathon. They're not, late, they're not letting go, are they? No, that, that shagging. They're not, they, they keep on, they they love keep on doing it. They really do. Uh, number 96, Guilty for Loving You by Carl St. Clair. I couldn't get my head around if that the video for that was real. Uh, I reckon it is. I don't know. Yeah. Slow month of January. Anything can get in the charts. We'll put it in the show notes. It's because it, it's not synchronized. I mean, the vocals are not synchronized to the the visuals <laughs> at all. It's like, no. look, made by somebody that was having a, can you make me a music video? Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, and at number 97 was the Glasgow Rangers boys with Boys in Blue. Oh, by the Boys in Blue. So this is a song by the Glasgow Rangers football team. Gotta love them. I don't know much about them. What, Glasgow Rangers? Gla- Glasgow Rangers, yeah, are they good? Uh, well, they're the second biggest team in Scotland. Well, some might say the biggest. It's them and Celtic. But they were, if I can remember rightly, they were they were always, it was always either Celtic or Glasgow or Rangers vying for the top spot. No one ever else. I think Aberdeen. Right. When, um, What's his face? He went on to manage Man U. I think Aberdeen were, had a had a run as well. Um, what, what's, what was his name? The Man United's famous manager. Oh god, it's completely um, gone from my head. Bobby Manchester. <laughs> Robbie Manchester. Bobby Charlton. No, it gave a hairdryer. What was his name? He was manager for like thirty years. You should know. Gone. I know. I should. Uh, Alex Ferguson. That was it. Alex Ferguson. All right. So 
Alex Ferguson, yeah, but Rangers and Celtic. But then Rangers, due to some, which I think was some financial impropriety, proprietary, got made, put into administration or bankrupt. Something happened a few years back and they got booted down to the lowest division. Oh, okay. Um, they've come back since and now they're battling again for the top spot but yeah they had to go through several seasons of being and not being able to do anything and it was kind of crazy um, I did notice that this um, this song had stabby synth trumpets I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to erase them because there's so many of these tracks that have them yeah I'm now at a point where I'm at the death to the stabby <laughs> absolutely it's too much stabby going on uh 10th of january in at number 19 was all day and all of the night by the stranglers don't understand why they did this <sighs> album filler cover it must be, but why that i mean the kinks track is a classic isn't it yeah and it's a decent version of it but it doesn't does uh, there's nothing different no it's just it's just like they've just like wrote yeah. to, should we cover the kink song should we add anything extra to it no make sure we add nothing to it <laughs> yeah. it needs to be Exactly similar. Oh, okay. Sounds very depressing. Number 21 was Come Into My Life by Joy Sims. Interesting track. I'm not a big, I don't have a lot of knowledge about Joy Sims, apart from the fact she was born in Rochester, studied music in college, learned a lot of instruments, and her agent introduced her to. The Sleeping Bag Records, who signed her in 1986, her biggest hit was Coming Into My Life. It's a bit of a, she's a bit of a, a, a side note of talent, and yet she is very talented. Her singing is great. Yeah. Um, and you've pointed out there, I think that um, you've heard her in something else, and it's hard to identify. No, it's this. I recognize this tune that come into my life. I got so much love to show you. Yeah, and, and I was the same. That that's the same, that, but I didn't recognise her version. But I was like, "Did this covered?" But I couldn't find it being covered. I wonder if it'd been sampled somewhere in a maybe a house that's track or I something think. like that. Um, I mean, it was re-released twice um, in 1995 and 2004. I think I think it was 2004. So maybe a lot of these a lot of these tracks were released re-released as house mixes or. They yeah. were sampled, sorry, as, as part of house mixes. It's a very high likelihood that's what the case is. Yeah. Just just that tune, I was like, I recognise this, but I didn't recognise it from this song. That was weird. No. Uh, number 29, Sign Your Name Across My Heart, I Want You To Be My Baby by Terence yes. Trent Darby. Sign your name across my heart. Mm-hmm. That one. That's the one. It sounds a yeah. bit like Michael Jackson in that, I think. It's not a bad song, is it? It's quite very yeah. sophisto. It's, a, it's sophisticated, isn't it, that one? <laughs> yeah. Sophisto pop, suitable for all good dinner parties in 1988. Yeah, I never got invited to any of them. I don't know why, though. I don't I get could, it. I know why. Uh, well, I, I do know why, really. Um, <laughs> we didn't know now anybody as... that had dinner parties, not in 1988. <laughs> I went to one dinner party where some girl told me she was, she'd was she been arrested for armed robbery. That's my uh, that's my, uh, that's my my experience. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he's now known as, as San... Sanada Maitreya. Maitreya. Yes, so that's Terence Trent Derby now. Drop the Derby name. I'm thinking because the football team probably didn't do so good at the time. <laughs> so he, he was Terence Trent Manchester for a while. Well, to be he fair, so he, was, he moves a, around. There is actually, a, there's all his name, his original name had a built-in rivalry between it because the River Trent runs through Nottingham. And then you have Derby <laughs> and Nottingham and Derby are vociferous enemies in the football league. Yeah. So you can't be Terence Trent Derby. You just, you, 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 you know, you're crossing the streams. Yeah, you, Quite literally, literally you crossing the, the Trent. <laughs> yeah. Don't, nobody wants to cross them. No, yeah. streams yeah. to cross. Tributaries. To... <laughs> no. no, no, no. You really don't no. want to. Number 32, Behind the Wheel by Depeche Mode. Boppy. Um, it's from the sixth studio album, Music for the Masses. Masses, yeah. Very bleak, but boppy. Yeah, it's good tune, this. 
Did you watch the video? Yes. It's very, it's very Anton Corbin, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very um, totally. It yeah, looks very yeah. Italian neorealist. Um and and, and starts yeah. to show that yeah. shows shows the views of lascivious churchmen. Yeah. I noted. Yeah. It's just watching it. bleak looking shit, is what I thought. But okay, <laughs> I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh number forty three, Bring the Noise by Public Enemy. Uh you can talk about this because Well, it's the first song off the group's nineteen eighty eight album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. The lyrics also have a notable metrical complexity, making extensive use of meters like the um, dactylic hexameter. Are you familiar with the dactylic hexameter, Adrian? Uh, Is that in a Star Trek episode? Yes, but also dactylic hexameter, also known as the heroic hexameter and the meter of the epic, is a form of meter or rhythmic scheme frequently used in ancient Greek and Latin poetry. The scheme of the hexameter is usually as follows, writing dash, if we imagine a dash for a long syllable and a U for a short and a UU for a position that may take a long or two short, it is dash UU, dash UU, dash UU, dash UU, dash UU, dash UU. Thus, there are six feet, each of which is either a dactyl, that's a dash UU, or a spondee, that's a dash dash. <laughs> the first four feet can either be dactylis, spondees, or a mix. The fifth foot can also sometimes be a spondee, but this is rare, as it's most often is a dactyl. The last foot is a spondee. So the words typical and elephant both demonstrate the dactylic stress pattern. Um, there we go. I'm glad, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> I have no idea if you've just made it all up and I've just sat nodding or whether that's actually real. <laughs> no, that's genuinely real. That's real. <laughs> spondee. Yeah, I don't think, and I'm just saying this, I don't mean to be rude, but I don't think Public Enemy were genuinely thinking about their dactylic hexameter when they wrote Bring the Noise. But isn't Spondy like related to Chuck D? Uh, Well, you can make that approximation yourself. I will do. Uh, (laughs) There we go, Bring the Noise. I only know that because that song was featured as one of the collaborations in the Judgment Night album. Yeah, if it's the Anthrax Was It was Anthrax, wasn't it? Yeah. Diddle, 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 yeah. Bring the Noise. I hate it. I hate it. I really like that, but there you go. Um, No, I don't really like Anthrax, but I did like that collaboration. (laughs) Death to you and your shoes. (laughs) Uh, number 45 I, can, look, I Can't Help It by Bananarama I just like it's it ban- it's the Bananarama Bananarama Banana yeah is, this is, is that from their fourth studio up. <laughs> it's banana it's not it's neither it's not this is not that's not dactylic hectometer whatever it was I can't even say it now um, the spondees are off um, <laughs> anyway this is that's from their fourth album we've spoken about it before which is wow but it's the final Bananarama single to feature s- Siobhan, Siobhan Fahey, who announced her departure shortly after its release. Not a very good song, is it? Nope. Stabby since. Stabby. stabby. Well, stock aching and Walkman, you're going to have to expect it. Stock aching and stabby. Um, <laughs> number 50, Rock the House, 1988, featuring the Cookie Crew. Yeah. By rock, the rock, 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 rock the rock the rock, 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 rock the house. Rock, 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 yes. That, that, that. This is by the Beatmasters featuring the Cookie Crew. Yeah, I don't know why I'm... Yeah, I recognise that. When I listened to that, I recognised that intro. Yeah, you would do straight away because it's, it's, like, oh, it was God, played so everywhere. Yeah. Heavy rotation on the old... Uh, and on radio in the UK, it got a lot of airplay. Mm, but in loads. my bedroom from Gary's Tapes.com, that was ridiculously <laughs> repeated. To the point where it's a smash his stupid tape recorder out of my bedroom forever. <laughs> Gary's tapes.com. <laughs> <laughs> rock, 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 rock,
you got to wear this. You got to wear this record. It's from House It's Eighty Eight. Rock, 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 rock. I'm going to smash the thing. Out. I'm going to smash it. I'm smashing that. It's like, smashing that's, it. Smashing. That's well annoying. That. Uh, uh, at number fifty-two is Jennifer. She said by Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. Mm, not my cup of jangly whinge pop. I put. Yeah, I put this. I thought this was verging on bland, verging on bland. Call it is, for me. It is totally on the edge. Um, and also, I don't like the use of the word commotions in this way. It's not a word to describe a group of people. Not on my watch. I'm not having it. Let's <laughs> Lloyd Cole and the commotions. If that's like you can't. Dis- there's no collective noun of people that's described as a commotion. No, exactly. Is yeah, there? don't think so. No, isn't that's the, how many Lloyd Coles have you got? I've got fifty. That's a commotion of Lloyd Coles. That is. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you got, but there's more than one. So there's more than one group. There's commotions. No, he should have just been tied to a chair and amplified <laughs> in some way that's painful. And played, played constant. <laughs> da, 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 rock the house by Gary. In at number sixty-four is New Sensation by In Excess. Yeah, this is the the other track by In Excess that's like majorly popular isn't yeah it? this is this is great um i do like where you put the video looks like his head was added in post-production someone else's does, body though it does it, looks, it does it i does thought look it like looks that. like a he's rocking a better looking robert palmer look yeah it does but it just looks like he's disconnected from his own head but i mean it's amazing <laughs> he's an amazing looking guy i mean he's no denying it he's a yeah. proper rock star he's cool as hell so yeah i wow. mean i think i think this is a great track i think his vocals are really good on this song really yeah. strong um yeah they I are. Love, I love the rhythmic breaks when it all stops. It's got a great chorus. It's probably my favourite in excess song, and I've heard quite a lot. But just there's just a, it's just a really cracking rock pop tune. Um, it's a good one, it's and it's a good video good as well. One. I like the uh, light effects in the videos on the chorus mm-hmm. as well, which normally can come off quite cheesy. And we've seen a lot of Quantel paint box nonsense, but the way they do it in this with obviously just stop motion, um, sort of you know things moving in the frame. It's it's really really well done. Um, well, they composited someone else's head onto his body, so that's pretty good. <laughs> Way before the Marvel were doing it. Way know, before. Unbelievable. The technology, the technology, <laughs> full on technology, that. Uh, number 76, <laughs> Hot in the City. Apt for this week. 1988 by Billy Idol. Oof. Everything about this is mismatched. <laughs> it's really weird, isn't it? It's like the video is wrong for the song. The song's wrong for the people in it. Yeah. Nothing matches. It's like, it's just, it's horrible. <laughs> it's like it's very very because a lot of cognitive dissonance in this yes uh, yes when you're watching it you're just like all over the shop you're like ah that shouldn't be that's the match none of this matches you've got that sort of slow synthy beat then he takes off in some snm bondage gear and you're like nothing it's works wrong. and it's too nice depeche mode get away with it because there's a slightly sleazy yeah. underbelly to them but I don't want to think Billy, sleazy underbelly. You're not getting away with it, Billy. You're not. No, you, know, you can't sneer your lip with your spiky light bulb hairdo. <laughs> you can't do that and then just sing this kind of sort of middle of the road rubbish. It doesn't work. Yeah, true. Number 77 is Candle in the Wind live by Elton John. Kind of get blown live, out, yeah. isn't it? Yes, it is. This is before it was rededicated to Princess, uh, the Diana Princess of Wales, of course. When it she is, died. Yes. So it was about Marilyn Monroe at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I defy anyone anyone on this earth to fully understand the first few lines as he as he sings them because he kind of sings it through what i describe as a thick nasal hose that's <laughs> <laughs> what it sounds like to me i could understand him but there you go i, I, I sort of get it but goodbye norma jean but you never remember the rest yeah, and Norma Jean did not hear my hey, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> no, she found a herb. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> to her, but never her any and this this made me revisit my hatred of Elton John. <laughs> oh God! Because I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't like Elton John songs. I I'm sure he's a nice person, albeit that he is some kind of reanimated uh, duvet. But that aside, um, I don't like anything he's produced, anything he's sung. I don't. I, I remember thinking that for a while. I quite liked um, I'm Still Standing. And I remember thinking, I quite like that. And then I don't actually like it. I realise I don't at all. It's got so really when I thought about Pinball Wizard, song. it has. When I thought about Pinball Wizard, I'm a pinball wizard. And then I watched um, that movie that's about Elton John, the recent one, with the guy oh, from yeah, uh, yeah. Kingsman in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I realised I actually really don't like Elton John at all. So I'm sorry, Elton. And and I know, you know, we're on speed dial, me and Elton. He's a good <laughs> mate of mine. But um, I don't like you and I never will. Sorry to reveal this after 30 years of friendship. But, no, I feel <laughs> Your like speed I dial is it. quite it's quite impressive. I think you've got James Cameron on there as well, haven't you? I, it's like, I have. You are speed dial with the stars, you are. And uh, don't get me wrong, Elton John, to his... You know, it, as a friend, you know, is a is the guy you can count on. You know what? I needed a patio heater, and he had one, and he brought it round. You know, he did. He genuinely brought that round. And you know, late night, late at night, when I needed one, he brought it round. But I can't get past the fact that he sings such crap songs repeatedly. That is true. It's, gonna, it's yeah. always going to be a bugbear in our friendship. I don't. I can't get past it. Candle in the wind was a real good example of that as well. You know, it just is. I can't, sorry, sorry, Elton. You know. What? And I will bring your heater back. Sorry, I've still got it. So. Yeah, it's got loads of stuff on it though now. Well, the, the, gas, the gas cylinder ran out weeks ago, months ago, really. But <laughs> I'll bring it back. I will. Sorry, uh, sorry, Elton. Anyway, so I digress. Sorry. You do. Nine, number 100. <laughs> Don't you forget about me, said Elton to Graham. <laughs> Don't you forget about my gas heater uh, by Smipplemans. I don't know why this why is being released. I don't know. M- must be. The Breakfast Club video release or something. It must be. It, it's got to be something like that. God only knows. But uh, it's back anyway. In at number 100, people... Everyone Straight bought it the in at 100. Time. Straight yeah. in at the last place you can be in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number 35 on the 17th of January. Shake your love. I just can't, I just shake, can't your shake your love. Yeah. Shake your love. Just can't shake from sh- your love. From Shake Your Love. <laughs> <laughs> By Debbie Gibson. Yay. Second yeah. single from uh, Debbie Gibson. And the lead single off her album, her debut album, sorry, Out of the Blue. So the the music, the music video to support this single was choreographed, 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 choreographed by Paula Abdul. She also choreographed the dancers in the film The Running Man. It she shows, did. you know, you got to do the old. I can't obviously demonstrate my amazing <laughs> Paula Abdul dance technique via <laughs> podcast. Double double strike hands in front of your face like. Da-da-da-da. And then, uh, and I am dexterous and, and limber and age is experiencing my limberness right now. Uh, he laughs, he laughs, but he's never seen me be able to bend my, my heel to my ear. I can do that. Um, yes, that does mean my uh, man junk is hanging out. I, I'm not wearing my man pants right now. It's not so wearing his mappy. Put that mappy back wearing, on. <laughs> no, my mappy is off. Um, so I do appreciate that the, the view you're, Imagining in your mind, and Adrian's is totally different. He's seeing the visual dexterity of my my prowess, and you're not. That's good. That's a good thing. Anyway, this is the first single 
from Debbie Gibson that I remember, um, I think. And is that what you yeah. think? Because I, I don't yeah, remember I a lot about this, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is the first Debbie Gibson I remember. I think that... that I know they're a bit early, but that tune, and maybe there's some similar writers behind this. I thought the tune and the rhythmic cadence, it reminded me of new, early New Kids on the Block. I'm not saying it's good, but there's, there's, <laughs> a, there's, a, there's the way that that sort of uh, mid to late 80s American teen pop. Yes, yes, very much so. I agree. Um, that's, what, that's what it reminded me of. There's a lot of the, the sort of more poppy tunes from New Kids on the Block. Number 36, Wild Hearted Woman by All About Eve. I, now, I did a bit of reading on this, and it seems to me that the... The Mission and All About Eve often loaned and exchanged band members, drum drummers and bassists and things like that. Is that the case? Yeah, mostly it was uh, Hussey and Reagan who sort of guested on various on some tracks. Julian Reagan guested on some Mission tracks. Uh, she was on Severina, and Wayne Hussey I think appears on this. So yeah, I think they were just they they just were friends I think, in, in that gothy gothy band era. I really like this, this. is gothy band era. Gothy gothy band era. <laughs> <laughs> Did you never meet him? He used to hang around the uh, barge. <laughs> Gothy Bandera. Um, pretty sure I probably had. You probably did. I think this is a great bridge chorus um, in this in this song. I really like it. And that guitar that leads into the song. chorus is really lovely. It's a great tune, this. I, I keep saying this about All About All the All About Eve, but there, there's so many good tunes on that first All About Eve album. It's like, you know, all the singles that they're releasing, you go, oh, yeah, that was good. Oh, yeah, that was good. Oh, that was good. Yeah. This is a really good first album. Yeah. Go listen to it. Yeah, you should. Don't, maybe not, I don't know. Number 44, Give Me the Reason, 1988 by Luther Vandross. Mm, mm. <laughs> so yeah. as you've rightly noted, this video wins the 3D Golden Screw Award <laughs> for having an animated 3D Golden Screw. Yes, it um, does have that at the start. But just to sort of, so I've noted just to why that is, because I, I did recognize when I watched the video, it was, uh, this was taken from the film Ruthless People. Danny DeVito, Bette Midler, Judge Reinhold, and Helen. I don't know why I put it's Helen Slater. It's a good film, actually, Ruthless um, People. But yeah, and it was probably only just released over here. It was 1986, but it's probably it just hit the sure. So because we haven't spoken about it, so um, but there you go. Uh, but yeah. the poster for it has a golden screw. It does. It's like an Oscar. So that's where it's come from. It makes yeah. no sense in the video, though. No, absolutely none. And, and as you've quite rightly, it also won the crappiest blue screen award. It's, it's bad. awful. It's really bad. It does, and just. As an aside, um, if you're going to do a screw in a video, make it a posi drive because slotted screws are a nightmare. They're awful. <laughs> They're really difficult to like screw in with with any kind of tool. Everyone likes posi drive or Phillips, as sometimes they're known. I, we I all call prefer them that. I wonder what you're on about yeah. then. Yeah, posi drive Phillips. That we all prefer that crosshead, not this slotted nonsense. So sorry, yeah. just thought they're I'd not compatible with my screwdrivers. They're not because no, they are a nightmare. When yeah, you, you'll get your electric screwdriver, you push it in. Zzz, 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 Oh, and it's got it's it's not done it. It's not done it. It's like yeah, that's because it's not posi drive. So you end up having to get a knife out your cutlery yes. drawer to try and do it. Like, oh, yes, yeah. and there is that. So yes, you could open them with a knife. Yes, but looking at that screw, that looks like a wood screw. Um, it looks like a, at least an inch eight or an inch twelve, maybe, or maybe an inch and a half twelve. <laughs> you need to give some backdrop of why you know this nonsense. Because <laughs> I used to work in a place that sold things like that for yes, many years. I worked for many years, two years. Absolutely. I worked in a place that sold screws, bolts. Uh, MJ Wilson Fastenings Limited in Grimsby. And we're gonna, I'll plug them because I think they're still going. MJ Wilson Fastenings. If you need a fastening, go to MJ Wilson's right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Ask, um, ask, ask for uh, Sean or Tom. <laughs> oh God, it'd be crazy if they were still if working still there. alive. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be fair, they funded a lot of our shenanigans back in the day. They, they did. They, they, they were the funding behind the Haunting Threes cameras. 
and apocalypse so, and things like and that. And apocalypse yeah. and stuff like that. We can't complain too much. You know? no, and my can't. amp and my bass and my bass and my amp, which enabled me to play in a band with you. That's this is amazing when you think about it. They did do a lot of that. All down my, to that was my first loan. I got a loan from the bank for three hundred pounds oh, yeah. to buy my my bass amp and my realistic amp and my Westone Two <laughs> Thunder bass, which I still own to this day. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Number 47, Tell It To My Heart by Taylor Dane. <laughs> yeah. Catchy, catchy Powerful vocals. Powerful. She really gives it some yeah. in this song. I just didn't like it. I just, it's large hair. It's just, <laughs> I don't like it. It's got powerful, powerful vocals. Demons out. <laughs> okay well no demons out in the next one all systems go at number 59 by donna summer what oh, was so this bad cheap cheap <laughs> so so cheap. cheap so stupidly cheap oh my god cheap bad blue there's loads of blood bad blood there's loads of blood blue screen bad blue screen blood blue screen blood, so, blood. it doesn't matter yeah it's all blood it's all massively blood all right blood this this was no <laughs> exception it was awful I can't believe Don Summer would sign herself off to that. It's awful. I know. I reckon she had no idea. She'd just be sat in front of a blue screen. They went, it's okay, we'll, we'll sort it in post. <laughs> Why is this blue screen behind me? Don't you worry about that. Just sing. Mime. Just sing. Just sing the song, mime. Pretend you're you're enjoying yourself. Why? doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> what was next? Hang on a minute. Uh, next, uh, number 66. Give me hope, Joanna. Yes. Um, give me hope. Joanna, yeah, classic. Eddie yeah. Grant. And yeah. It's a Every- British anti-apartheid song. I'm not going to go into the deep politics of, an- of apartheid and stuff like that in a nah, fun podcast for, for funness at all. But the, suffice to say, this is a deeply political song that really was, it made, it was, as much as it was a poppy song, it was very deeply political and it was quite popular in the UK. It was number one for quite a while. It got banned in South Africa, where it was uh, sort of targeting, really. But it was, it was in the UK. It was very popular. I think around Europe as well. Catchy mm-hmm. little song, isn't it? Give me hope, Joanna. It's nice. And Eddie Grant, he also did Electric Avenue. I think is later down the line as well, yeah. which I really like. So stuff. He did, yes. It was, yeah. It was everywhere. I just remember this really getting a lot of airplay. It's a good thing. It good did. Thing, it yeah. was everywhere. It was good message. Number seventy nine. Love is not a game by the Macaulay Schenker Group. They're back. The MSG is back. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Goodness me, set your editing video system for cliche. Yeah. This has got everything thrown into this one. Goodness me. Yeah, roller skates. I'd like, you to, I'd like you to highlight what's in it. Yeah, roller skates, high kicks, hands in the air silhouettes, blue lit stage, Dutch angles, literally everything. Literally what would happen if you fed White Snake Bon Jovi Def Leppard into an AI machine and said, <laughs> write a song and That's produce a video a for brilliant, it. Such a brilliant description of that song and that video. Yeah. Unbelievable. Fed it all in and went, right, you know, all the AI machinery that we've got these days doing Harry Potter novels and what have you, just put it all in, write this, give it a rock tune to play, you'd get this. So, by the numbers, it's incredible. Unbelievable. Uh, Macaulay Schenker Group. They do sound like a solicitors. Still. Still, yeah. (laughs) Would you hire them? No. I wouldn't because they've got big hair. (laughs) They'd come in and just in guitars and stuff in the middle of the trial. What are you doing? Coming in roller skates, just roller skate into the room. Hey, why right, you, you're you not hired. <laughs> you're supposed to be rock, not country. Yeah, yeah, get out. <laughs> you're the Macaulay shit show group. Get out. 
24th of January, number 33, Valentine by Tapao. Yeah, very forgettable. Yeah. Not great. I don't really remember that one at all. I remember it more than I do number 35, though, which was No More Lies by Sharp and Newman. That was massively, that was was like receiving a piercing, (laughs) penetrating dagger to the arse cheeks. (laughs) Awful. It was Awful. bad. Who's sharp anyway? I was that's that's, that's who penetrated your ass cheeks. It's, that's, that's, it's, it's like finding a fly in your flapjack. It's horrible, that song. <laughs> you told me this was a chocolate chip. <laughs> uh, I want more of them. You can't. It's a fly. <laughs> there are no more flies for this small boy. No more. Um, number 45, Victoria by The Fall. Uh, do you like The Fall? No, I don't. But I do like this track. Because um, it reminds me of you know, our, our old haunts, Gullies in the Barge. In fact, I was in the Barge recently, yeah. and this came on. Um, oh, God, I, did, it's, 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 I thought I recognised it. It does. They always just play it there. I like. I do like that chorus. It's quite a good chorus. Quite a nice chord progression and stuff. But I, also, I listened to this, and I noted that it really sounds like a massive influence on bands like the Libertines and Baby Shambles, those kind of early two thousands bands. That this kind of track from the fall sounded dead yeah, like them. I'm not going to argue with you on that because I don't know what you're talking about. But I agree. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> never mind. It do, it sounds exactly like the Libertines. <laughs> Uh, number 45 She's the One by James Brown The Funkiest Man Alive yes yeah but it's a good week for James Brown because it's too hot it's too hot in the hot tub this week it's too hot in the hot tub James Brown is a crazy good dancer when he wanted to dance he was apparently he treated his band and his like a piece of shit oh he was an asshole he was an asshole from everything I understand yeah yeah, exactly everyone describes him as a real knobhead then but you know, to get him to dance like in this funky style, they just heat the floor up to about 120 degrees C. That's going to make anyone dance. It's going to so make, like, yeah. <laughs> so that's how he danced. But he is a, an amazing, you know, he's just a performer on stage. That's a, His persona is amazing as much as he's an arsehole to his band. His persona is captivating. I find mm. it fascinating and I, I really like it as much as I don't like him as a person. I like his Wasn't persona also- on stage. I, I, I seem to remember, I could be wrong, but wasn't it also, it wasn't very nice to his partners as well. No, he's a violent wife-beating arsehole. That's the but word I was he, looking for. But, but he could <laughs> dance, he could sing, and that'll take him a long way. Kit Kat snaps. There we go. Yeah. Number 51, <laughs> I Refuse, 1988. What is all this like, 1988 nonsense? We just know, started it. don't. I know, don't. It's like bland. Hue and cry. It's the stig- signature stamp of a bland core. Yeah, bland. So all the bland. bland. Hue and cry. Honestly, bland, bland. If they were a cake, they'd be a sponge. No no flavour. <laughs> no no name. What, Victoria? No, just sponge. If they were a comedy duo, they'd be like unfunny. <laughs> welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Hue and cry. Hiya, gentlemen. Hiya, hiya. Right. I'm off. See ya. <laughs> You're uh, shit, you are. Get off. <laughs> yeah. And then the next one's come on. Number 57, Love is the Art by Living in a Box. Oh, God, this. <laughs> More that bland. bass sound. Uh, it's that eight, late 80s bass. No. Horrible. 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 No. Back in the box you live. Back in. Yeah, you will come out no more. That made me laugh a lot, that. Is it is it living living in a box of the earth? No, <laughs> you will come out no more. <laughs> Egg Chen does not like living in a box, and really I doesn't. totally agree with him. I agree with him. Uh, number sixty, Cold Sweat by Sugar Cubes. Oh, I hate the Sugar Cubes. I hate them. Yeah, I listened to this. I listened to this, and I was like, "What am I listening to?" Same. 
More honking and hooping from the Icelandic speak and spell doll. <laughs> it's not for me, this. I don't like them. I don't like her. I don't like them. I don't like it. There's nothing. It holds nothing for me. It would put me off going to Iceland if I hadn't already been there. Okay. So. <laughs> I've never been there, so it's putting me off. It's Just a beautiful place. Iceland's amazing. Don't be fooled by the sugar cubes. They hold nothing about that country in their songs. <laughs> Fair nothing. enough. Uh, number 61, Sing a Song, Break It Down by Mantronics. Yeah, housey outro track. Very famous. Very boring. If you like who sampled, you can, we'll put the link in the show notes. But it's you'll have heard it and you'll have gone, eh, at that time. It's it's one in a sea of sort of uh, housey electro noise. Yeah, that are coming noise. through now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that totally, are taking yeah. over top of the pops. It's good, but it's just more noise. Yeah. Number 64, Heaven Knows by Robert Plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this. <laughs> I had to put in the massive R. It was the first single to release from his 1988 album, Now and Zen. Aye. Oh, don't. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I read that, I was like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, Plants, uh, as you've written, Plants' former Led Zeppelin bandmate Jimmy Page played the guitar solo. So it's just Led Zeppelin. It is. <laughs> look, it's, John Bonham died, thankfully, and, and sorry, I'm sorry to say this. I'm, I'm sorry when I say thankfully. Yeah, that sounds a bit John, harsh. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'll take that I'm back. Glad he was dead. <laughs> I don't mean that he was. I don't mean that he died thankfully. I mean that he, he died mercifully before this song came about. So oh, John Bonham is not a part of this band. You have got Plant and you got on the singing duties, of course. Jimmy Page doing the guitar in mercifully the keyboardist John Paul Jones and the bassist isn't doing his thing. So it's not Led Zeppelin this, but it's Led, it's Led Zeppelin light. <laughs> And this song is horrible, horrible. It's horrible. It's a horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. Awful. <laughs> and um, just as an aside from me, as a final hurrah, uh, in the video, he's wearing the most impractical clothes to be in the desert because he's yeah. in the desert and it's just like, no, I hate it. This everything. This is like a. It's like if you're going to punch Led Zeppelin in the in the cock, <laughs> this is how you do it, isn't it? Really, it's awful. What do you yeah. think? Well. As I've, as I've written, awful. It reeks of, look how much money we have, and we can do whatever I want because I have all the money and no one will say no. Yes, yes. It's awful song, yeah. awful video, awful. It's the, it's, the, it's the George Lucas of songs for me. Um, and that ain't you know, good. Awful. I and mean, that guy yeah. looks like he's swallowed 60,000 quid coins. <laughs> that, that ain't good, that ain't a good look for Lucas. anybody. Yeah, yeah, he's got that yeah. big goiter, and he like... He really has, horrible. yeah. But yeah, no, didn't like Heaven Knows by Rope Plant. Terrible. Nope. Number 80, You Make Me Feel, Stop This Car by The Wooden Tops. Now, you see, I liked this song. It's very difficult to find much about this outfit. Yeah. I liked this song. I liked the video. It was it was, it was was okay. But the singers, you know, if you've got in the band, you've got Rolo McGinty. Come on. <laughs> That's not <laughs> And he, he's the bad guy from uh, LA Confidential, isn't he? <laughs> Roland McGinty, oh, Simon Morby, uh, Frank DeFreitas, Benny Staples. <laughs> Benny Staples. <laughs> Benny Staples. He, uh, he's, he's mates with uh, Freddie Partners and, and, one, and, other, <laughs> and, and other office supply stores. <laughs> <laughs> Treasury Tag Johnson was in there. <laughs> Absolutely. I want I want to be in a band with Benny Staples and, and Bobby, Rolo Bobby McGinley. <laughs> Bobby Screwfix, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Treasury Tax Johnson was in there. Um, uh, <laughs> 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 but yes, um this this wouldn't I thought the song was alright. I know you, you weren't too keen, but it was alright. It was alright. It was all right, yeah. but the band the band members' names are very cool. I would yeah. ha- at any time 
If if we when we, in our band when it was us, you was on guitar vocals and I was on bass, and Roland McGinty or Benny Staples signed up. I'm like Benny, get on that drum kit, Benny, because we're having you. Can, <laughs> having can you, you play? Just so I can stand nah, on the stage. Can't. get on there, get on there, Benny. <laughs> Benny stage, Staples. On, on the drums, Benny Staples. Benny, on, it's, it's Benny Staples, come on. On, on Kita, Rolo McGinty. Rolo McGinty, come on. <laughs> uh, number 95 is the best cover of the uh, Tina Turner song by Bonnie Tyler. For reasons unknown, <laughs> this, I, no, this cover exists. No idea. This was awful. I couldn't, I couldn't identify it from a film or anything else. The video is bad. Everything's bad. Her vocals aren't even that good either. It's they're not. They're not a patch on uh, Tina Turner's. No, and they. Nor would they ever be. No, probably it's weird not. That, weird that you would even try it. Really. Yeah. Like you said, a horrible and pointless cover, and that's exactly accurate. Yeah. So. I did say that. You can take that to the bank. Thirty first of Jan, uh, rounding out singles the last week. Twenty number twenty five. Give me all your love. <laughs> By White Snake. This song is so bad. This song is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's a really horrible song. It's bad. I mean, do you like this song? Just no, before we can get into that, it's bad. Um, it's his so outfit. Bad. His outfit in the video is more tasseled than clothing. <laughs> if you pull, if you pull on one thread, it's all going to just dissolve like tears in rain. <laughs> it's so uh, bad. It's, everything about it is bad. Big hair. Big. It's just everything's bad. It's bad. It's bad. You know, like I noted, you, you know, you've got a problem when album fillers like this are getting released as singles. Yes. Yeah, because it's 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 no it's no good. That song's rubbish. No. Not when you put it up against the best White Snake tracks. It's just goof. No. There's not a lot of White Snake tracks to put up against. <laughs> There's about the, the three classics. <laughs> I was going to say all three of them. All three of them. There's a cozy fifteen minutes. <laughs> so shit that song. Honestly, it, goodness it me. Great. Wow. Okay. Number 27, get out of my dreams, get into my car. Billy Ocean. Get out of my dreams. It's not terrible, is it, really? No. Um, But it's got that kind of horrible 80s drum track that I don't like. It's got kind of a kick drum that's like boom, with a snare and the... Uh I don't like those kind of things, but, you know, there you go. As I know, it's the theme song for a thousand serial killers. Yeah, as on the as on the tape deck of Son of Sam. <laughs> yeah, Son of Sam, Ted Bundy. They're all having this. It was it's on, Ted Bundy's greatest hits. It was a heavy heavy rotation in the serial killer. I like that <laughs> as much as it's horrible and it's it is horrible. The idea yes, of, now that's what I call serial killing. <laughs> <laughs> get out and get into my car. Put it get into the backseat, baby. You're not getting out. <laughs> the idea of these songs songs chosen deliberately by serial killers on death row. Yep. We're onto a winner there. <laughs> I tell you what, somewhere the alarm's gone off in a now office. <laughs> like, beep, beep. Someone's thought of a now album we never thought of. Holy crap. <laughs> no, that's beep, what I call beep. serial right. killing. <laughs> oh, it's got dark again. Um, <laughs> number 39, let's get brutal. Oh, God. Nitro oh Deluxe. Housey track that was very, very boring. I got tortured to death with that bloody house track by Gary. <laughs> Gary, I listened Gary to friend it. of the podcast. Oh, my God. It is so Gary. It's so him. This, I was just, I could see him in his, that bloody hoodie he had, dancing vaguely to this. Don't, I, I, he came around with his little tapes. And he put this bloody track on this. Let's get a brutal track. And I remember it. I remember it. I remember it very well. Being tortured with it. Beep, 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 beep. Like, oh my god! I know. I don't forgive you, Gary, for that. I don't. Sorry, no. I don't. Um, Torturous, crazy. 
<laughs> Number 43, Never Knew Love Like This, featuring Shirelle by Alexander O'Neill, featuring Shirelle. <laughs> this one the, contains the most like Whitney Houston <laughs> without actually being Whitney Houston Award for containing a, I can't believe it's not Whitney Houston, Simuloid, which was Shirelle. Well done, well done. Yeah. Golf clap for that. I just, I just said soul glow. <laughs> totally. It's like the video features a woman that looks alarmingly like... Um, Whitney Houston, but isn't Whitney Houston. Sings no. like her a little bit, but she's not Whitney Houston. It's Whitney Houston off. It's Whitney Houston and Whitney Houston off. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Miyagi. When you wake me, Whitney Houston off, she's done. Number 54, When We Was Fab by George Harrison. The song that sounds so much like the Beatles, it might as well have been a Beatles song. Well, he's got two of them in it. Yeah, it's basically the Beatles. Like we said about Led Zeppelin, it's basically the Beatles. Yeah, it does it really sound is. exactly like a Beatles song. It's a good song but you've got to like the Beatles to like it, I think. Yeah. Number 55, Hazy Shade of Winter by The Bangles. I've not I heard this, this video quite before. a lot. I bet you I did. had, actually. I did watch this uh, a lot. But the very yeah, the outfits are very strange. But yes, yeah, from the Lesson Zero South, get it, Brett Easton Ellis' first book. Yes. Before he did American Psycho. Yes, it's a good film as well, actually. But the, the film's nothing like the book. No, the, I, the, I'd, I'd heard that. The bit they share, I've read, because I've read the book ages ago, and it shared different shared characters. Um the book's a lot more nihilistic, shall we say. No, and it doesn't feature Susanna Hoffs. It doesn't, no. That's true. Looking like crazy, crazy, crazy hot. <laughs> I take it you approved of her in this video. Oh, just, yeah. She's a very beautiful yes. woman, Susanna Hoffs, let's face it. And it was what caused the break for the bangles. <laughs> yeah. Susanna Hoffs, everyone. Susanna Hoffs. There she is. Yeah, the rest of the band yeah. got pissed off with the uh, attention being devoted. To I, wonder it, and... I wonder why. I wonder why because you have to see it in that video. She's not even in it that much, and you're like, oh my god, she's the hot one, <laughs> the hot one. <laughs> she's so good looking in that video. It's crazy, and she's such. Oh, honestly, I watched. I when I really watched this video, I remembered why I liked watching it. I was like, yeah, oh but my just god. imagine, just, just imagine, just to ruin it for you. Imagine if she was Susanna David Hasselhoff's. Yeah, it doesn't ruin it for me. <laughs> Fair enough. There's no penetrating my. Uh, my Hoff's shield. No, that's true. To be fair, though, just to come back to the song, it is a really good cover, this. Yeah, it is a really good cover. Really good. It's the, it's the best cover of that song, and that says something about it. Yeah, I really because like Because I, I like really this. like the Mamas and Papas version of this. And so, and you'd think almost that the Mamas and Papas, the natural progression of people doing this would have been the, who was it who sang, um, oh, what they're called? There's a, the people that would naturally have sung this, what they're called? There's, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, what, there's a band that, that did that. No, there's um, they did a song called "Hold On." Who did "Hold On"? Hold on. Um, I have no three, idea. Three male singers. Not I want to say Dixie Chicks, but want them. But there's three female singers. Oh, you want about? Um, oh God, this is terrible podcasting. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, <laughs> you can, we Wilson, can figure it out. Wilson Phillips. Wilson Phillips. So Wilson Phillips were the were the progeny of the people that sang this song originally, and uh, people like famous people. Um, <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> so you would think that they would cover it and do a good cover, but the Bangles came in and did a better version. Yeah. That. That. And there you go. Susanna Hoffs. It does. She's in the video. She does that face. <laughs> she's done. That... She's done things to your mind. I think that's what's happened here. Oh, You're suffering severe God. hoffage. Um, Massive 60... hoffage of the mind. <laughs> number sixty-two. Dreaming by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Yeah, derivative twee nonsense for yeah, me. I thought it sounds like it could be a, bana it, a softer it, Banana Rama song. It did sound exactly like a Banana Rama song. So maybe uh, there's a stuck yeah. in a Wartman thing around that. I don't maybe. know. Uh, number sixty-three. Look what you started by the Temptations. I didn't look what I started because I just looked when it ended. Yeah, so, not for me, not, this. Not my cup of tea. No. The Temptations are amazing, but not for that. No. Uh, number 71, We Care A Lot by Faith No More. A few things I realised about this track. One, that, that 
it occurred before Mike Patton's yes, time in the first I, I didn't, album. I genuinely yeah. didn't, yeah, I, but I didn't realize that Mike Patton wasn't involved with them. No, he, so, he so did a version do, maybe, of this. Though. Maybe you've got a bit more info about that because that's that's cool. Well, he was, I can't remember if it's Chuck, Chuck somebody or other. I can't remember his, his full name, but yeah, Mike Patton joined Faith No More about a month um, before they recorded the real thing, the second album before Angel Dust, and had like about a few weeks to write all the lyrics. He didn't, he didn't have very long and record them all because they'd recorded all the music. I think the singer left. They got Mike Patton in and then he had like, they should, right, here's the songs are these, get the lyrics written. Um, and that's why the real thing sounds like, you know, c- kind of crazy madness sort of thing. But yeah, so this was, uh, We Care A Lot was the, the original, as far as I understand it, the original Faith in the More lineup for the singer Chuck. Wow. Oh, I can't remember his name, but um, so yeah. That's, Norris. That's what I know. Do you know any more? No, no. I just remember, I, I, I only really encountered Faith No More when they did Epic and from there on in. So this early stuff was, this is a great track by them and it is really good. And there's loads of versions of it as well. When I was doing it, listening to the different versions for the podcast, I came across a live video version that didn't feature Mike Patton, which was some other guy. I guess that's the main guy from who sang it originally. It was a really good track, but there's a live version from a few different things where they sing with Mike Patton. It's, it's still a good track regardless. So Chuck, really good. Mosley was the singer. Yeah. And it's got that really great sort of intro sequence into it and the guitar parts are really nice and the, that synth yeah. line really nice cool song. stuff very is really good really mm. good and as i've noted i think this being here in the charts is kind of what some of the first we've seen a bit of anthrax and some of that more heavier stuff but this kind of more funk metal mm. um stuff was starting you know you probably get to see um who were the other ones who did it not popular itself uh, extreme uh, no not extreme i'm thinking of the uh uh, James Addiction. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So those kind of bands will start to come through now. We start to see this kind of funk metal type stuff entering the charts. Yeah. But this is the yeah. sort of start We're of that. See it. You know, getting away from more bands getting away from that hair metal type of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Number 74, Boys, Summertime Love, Sabrina. Boys, boys, <laughs> boys. This song. This was on so often on them all night video channels. Yeah, it was. I wonder why. Ding, 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 ding. Now, there's a train of thought, which is that this is cheap, tacky Euro crap, and they're probably right. However, this was a massive, massive 12 inch Italiano dance track. It was humongous. So the the track that came into the UK charts and the track that enveloped the chart is a version of the actual track, which is a massive, massive Yoro house track. So it's easy to think of this as a kind of write-off, a, a sort of a you know a, a one-hit wonder type thing, and I suppose it is in that way. But this track was massive, and the mm. and the production behind it, and the and the samples behind it, and the way it played out was crazy. This got popular. Because Sabrina, who was the model-turned-singer that they hired, essentially, for this, was in all the videos just flashing her boobs around, really. And as much as it pains it, us to say it, yes, that was the well, it case. Got, it, got, it got banned off BBC because of that exact reason. Because yeah. she, she was you know, famously in the video in wherever it was filmed, Florida, wherever, she was jumping up and down at the pool, her boobs were kind of popping out of the top, nipples popping out. So the BBC were like, no, we're not having any of that. We can't have no, no, no nipples on BBC. Absolutely. BBC, no nipples. But this was also MTV's time, so it did appear on MTV fully uncut and everything else, so it's a bit mm-hmm. of a clash, really, regardless of any of that. I think the Ferrari and the sort of thought of Sabrina doing that in her videos 
far exceeded the BBC's ability to censor it. Mm. And eventually it became more of a, a mythos around the whole, what happened in the video. Now, what she, she does is what at one point, she'll jump up out of a pool and her top kind of pops out. But later down the line, thanks to the sort of, you know, visual Chinese whispers, it was almost a pornographic exploration of, yeah. <laughs> of what happened. That isn't the truth of what happens in the video, but the song is very suggestive. The video, very suggestive. The top of the pops performance, which she does live, I've put, I'll put, we'll put a link into the show notes. It's absolutely, absolutely legendary for total boob exploitation it's bb it's it's boobc on, on a massive scale it's amazing to watch it's brilliant and the reason i mention all of this is because i actually came across this first by a c64 digi demo so on mm. the c64 digi demos were quite popular at one point there was a few and one of them was the um which is one that gary and i explored a lot because of the i think for the for me for reasons um, Gary, friend of the podcast, he had this on a digi demo. So we loaded it up on his uh, disk drive and it was like, you know, it's boys, but but boys. It had a big picture of Sabrina with a you know wombas hanging out. Um for want of a much better description than that. <laughs> Just leave anyway, it to this. <laughs> anyway, we uh, we watched that, but it was a C64 digi demo. There weren't many of those around at the time. There was there were quite few and far between. Now there's loads, but back then compressing the audio to a point where it was audible on the C64 was a, a miraculous and crazy thing that could not be done. And yet there we were listening to it on a C64. We were like, oh my God, how have they done this crazy thing? We didn't know that it was a, an exploit of a volume control on a chip, but that does take away the magic. But it's, it was amazing. <laughs> it does. So there you go. There you there go. go. Boys, summertime love. Number 82, the Boys. last time. <laughs> Shush. The last Boys. time by Agnetha Falkstag. I didn't uh, realize that Falkstag. was even her name. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was a name. It's uh, she's I it's yeah one of the A's of Abba, yeah, and rightly branching out to Spisto Popland, having had a haircut. It's all right. It's, to me, this was very AOR by numbers. I'm well, not doubting her voice, but no, it was less Agnetha Falstrog and more Agnetha <laughs> Agnetha Truestrog. <laughs> not <even> what? <laughs> <laughs> she's not false. She's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I, uh, I thought you the song was tumble, all right. Can you set a tumbleweed at that point? I will accept tumbleweed. I thought she was all right. Um, the, the song was good. The song was all right. It's okay. She looks kind of cool, like you said, but it's AOR and it's kind of, it's misplaced and it's not ABBA, is it? So eh. No, it's not. Maybe that's why eh, she's doing it. She didn't want to be, she wants to do something different. Yeah, she wants to be AOR, not ABBA. Yeah. She's the A, she's the a in AOR. Um, not the A in ABBA. Not the other A. <laughs> Which A was she? The front or the back? Uh, she's the back A. Okay. Finally, number 83, Kesara by Chris Riar. Yeah. Stupid video. Not particularly great song. Ugh. Crappy song. Parody of the film here playing the video for reasons that aren't explained. Dull song from the Dancing with Strangers album. Yeah. yeah. As I've noted, he does always seem to be traveling somewhere. And as he you does. said, and getting nowhere. No, he goes nowhere. Chris Riar. Because that's his name, Chris Riar. Chris Riar. <laughs> There you go. Not Chris Thanks. front. <laughs> Chris at the back. Chris uh, rear. Get in the rear, Chris. <laughs> okay. Uh, there we go. That's your singles uh, for January. Get to the albums next week and see what goodies we have uh, in that lot. We'll be back. We're going to take another quick break um, and we will be back uh, with our last four games for this episode. So please do stick around. What is that? 
That, Adrian, is the sound of smooth testicles. Now, if you're wondering why, now you may not know this about me, but I like to keep myself trim below the waist. I didn't, and I'm glad to have found that out. (laughs) (laughs) I think the important part of doing this podcast is that we share, and now Uh I'm sharing with you and everybody that I like to keep myself trim, and to do that... I found a really great product. That product would be Manscaped and all the various tools that come in their performance package. Now, let me tell you something. I once had a near fatal accident in the bath and I'm not a very limber person. I was trying to shave below the waist, doing some manscaping, some grooming, and I slipped to the razor and, well, I nearly turned me didgeridoo inside out. That was unpleasant. (laughs) No one wants that. (laughs) It was not very pleasant and actually it hurt my confidence. I needed a bit of a confidence boost. I found the Manscaped Performance Package. It's an ultimate set of men's hygiene tools, including an amazing shaving tool, what's called their lawnmower trimmer, and their weed whacker. The lawnmower trimmer is for shaving your man jewels to get them nice and neat. You know, you don't have to go full smooth if you don't want. I just prefer that. I'm a big fan of the King and I movie, so it all makes sense. <laughs> You've gone full Yul Brynner down there. <laughs> I've gone for the full Yul Brynner. But also, I'm not 100% old, but I do sometimes get hairs in places they shouldn't be, in my nose and in my ears. Thankfully, it also comes with a weed whacker, which is a tool that you can use to trim your ear and nose hair with complete safety. These things are genuinely innovative products, and I actually find them very, very useful for me, and I suspect they'd be useful for you. Now, if you go to manscaped.com and enter the code ZAPPED20, zapped two zero, then you'll get a 20% off as well. Can't say fairer than that, can you? And it's free worldwide shipping. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code ZAPPED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code ZAPPED20. Unlock your confidence, Adrian. And always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And we are back as promised. We've got four more games, the first of which we'll get straight on into. No preamble, just dive straight in. It's Octopolis. Octopolis, £10, 86%. It's a high scorer. Does it deserve it? Let's have a look. Let's go. It is the year 3897. The all-encompassing Galactic Imperium has almost managed to conquer the entire galaxy, save one snivelling planet, the planet Octopolis, which has armed itself with the power of telekinesis. This has enabled them to turn any would-be aggressor into a babbling buffoon and any AI to de-res. But after 200 years of searching, the Imperium has located a man with an immunity to the effects of the planet, a man without a mind, so idiotic that he's easily convinced to go and shut down the defences on Octopolis and open the way for glorious invasion by the Galactic Imperium. Yeah, can always count on stupidity. Absolutely. It's time to show those rebel scumbags the bottom of your jackboot as you essentially play a stormtrooper for the Empire, taking out the last bastion of rebel hope. Cheery. The planet's not without its defences, and these must be overcome to prepare the planet for its dark salvation. Okay. Essentially, you're playing Fry, aren't you, from uh, Futurama, where yep. he's the only one that could take, uh, could take down the brains because of his hodgepodge of uh, uh, brainwaves. Yep. That's what I thought when I read this. Anyway, each layer of defense is split into two sections, and these are represented by a bi-directional scrolling shoot-em-up followed by a platforming section. Okay, so that's what we have here. To render the planet open and defenseless, you must go through eight levels, and completion of the eighth will shut down the telekinesis field, and you will be rewarded as the dumb hero you are. And there we go. So that's that's the, the game. So you boot it up, you load it up, and you get you get a shooter section. So the shooter section is a cross between Iridium and Sanction. 
essentially. You must fly across the smallish level, back and forth like the dreadnoughts in Iridium, uh, shooting enemies as they swarm you in various waves. The sanction part comes in that the screen is split in the middle, offering both a side-on view at the top and a top-down view at the bottom. This needs this means that enemies need to be lined up in both both views to be shot, or alternatively can be dodged by being higher or lower than them, higher than lower than an eight, hey. um, <laughs> or to the right or left. Um, control is normally for the top screen, with up and down to so the uh, so the sort of side on view, uh, so the, t- the typical normal view for the top screen with uh, up and down, moving you up and down, uh, left and right, slow you down. Um, and change direction when you eventually get too slow, you flip the other direction. Um, you can also fire backwards, though, if you uh, move to the opposite direction, but don't go fully that way. You sort of point, if you're heading to the left and you sort of flick to the right, you'll start firing behind you, and that's quite handy. Um, so that, that that's it. It's, it's Iridium controls in this top part. Imagine them up, down, you, know, you move around the screen, typical sort of side-on. I know Iridium is top-down, but it's that side-on view of, you know, flipping backwards and forwards and what have you. If you hold the fire button down, um, however, or pressing the fire button and moving up and down, this alters your position on the lower part of the screen. So it's hard to go. So so the, the, the lower half screen is the top down view, if I remember right. So that's the looking down. So that moves you left or right in relative terms on that screen. So moving up moves you to the left and moving down moves you to the right relatively You'll, if you look at the screenshot, if you play it, you'll, you'll see what I mean. It's important, this, because like Iridium, um, after a while, your ship will start to flash. Um, and this means you can land on the runway and initiate the platform section. And now you can only see the, pl- the where the runway is on the top-down view. So you need to be looking at the bottom bottom view for that one. And so you've got to position yourself over the runway and go slowly over it. Do note, though, that you've got to be over the runway on the bottom half of the screen. So when looking down, you've got to be moving slowly. And in the top half, you've got to be down near the bottom. So you've got to be obviously just as if you're going in to land. If you're not and you're higher up, you won't land, as I found too much to my annoyance after a while until I figured out what I was supposed to do, shouting, why won't you land? And it's because mm-hmm. I had to actually pull it down because you're seeing it. You know, you've kind of got a 3D view almost in two screens. Yep. But that can be quite tricky, trying to sort of control all that 3D positional space while aliens are still harassing you and trying to kill you and blow you up because if they contact you, you lose a life. Um, so any contact uh, will will drain one of your lives. I think you have five lives, but that's what it is. If you land, though, if you manage to land, don't take long. So if you land, you you get the platform section. So you kind of go into, it's like a, the mini game, but it's five screens. It's a standard side-on view and you control a little spaceman wandering about. So he's you've got a gun. Uh, you can shoot and you have a jump that will always propel him forward. It's it's quite a big jump, but it doesn't feel like one of the mighty bounds. Not so bad because the platforms are kind of spaced properly so that you always land on one of them. It's, it's quite well designed in the way that these platforms to your jump is kind of is kind of spaced. That's quite it's quite good. There's always an exit. Basically, on on these screens, there's an exit on the far side of the screen. You usually start somewhere on the left. There's an exit on the right, and all you've got to do is just make your way to the exit. That's it. Just go through the exit. Mm-hmm. But to complicate matters, there are these floating eyes. Now, these floating that, that sort of move back into sort of little patterns that are there, and they can, you know contact with those um, is fatal. You'll lose one of your lives. You can shoot these eyes though. But if you do lose one of your lives, you do get contact with one of them. Then the screen resets, and any that you have shot come back to life. There may also be monsters roaming around on the platforms. Um, now, I say may because these monsters, a number of these monsters are tied to the number, I think it's the number of ships you shoot in the shoot 'em up section when you get the when you start flashing. So if you stay out there for a bit longer and you start sh- blasting away at the aliens and kill a load of them, there'll be less monsters in the platform sections. So you run the risk of being killed 
because uh, you're staying out there longer, but you're also making the platform sections easier for yourself to navigate because the monsters, like they're on little loops. And again, they're big. The monsters in this are quite big. Um, sort of quite, they're like ogres and weird sort of creatures like that. And they're kind of wandering around the platforms and in, in, in patterns, so you can kind of learn them, but it makes it trickier to get around. So, you know, you might want to stay out there and shoot some of the the aliens to sort of uh, lessen them. Uh, you've got five of these platform screens to get through and they get more devious as you progress and the way forward is not always obvious. And so they, they kind of become like, not so much platform, they kind of become almost mini puzzle screens to figure out. Similar way to what we saw, it's not the same, but what we kind of saw in Solomon's Key, the Big Mac maintenance man, any of those other single screen puzzle platformers that we've played through um, in that the the way to the exit is not always as obvious as you may think and it can sometimes take a bit of a circuitous route um, because sometimes you have to drop down onto a certain level and shoot an alien on the other side of the screen that allows you to go back up and across the top and then drop down onto that platform where the alien previously was. Um, and, and it's things like that. But while all this is going on, there is a timer counting down as well. If you complete through the um, get through all the five screens you go on to the next level you get a countdown so you get extra points for how quickly you do it so you know it, it behooves you to get through quicker because you get more points for it if you do that you get through to the next level it's rinse and repeat so that's what it is so each level has these two bespoke sections in which must be completed and they get harder as they go along um, okay so until all eight are done and obviously you complete the game this is technically very proficient um, it's got code and design and the visuals are by Yuka Yuka Tapanamaki. Um, I don't know. If that, um, I'll give that as my best pronunciation. And so from the outset, you know, this game, it gives a good impression. It's got a nice title screen. It's got various attract sequences for the game if you leave it alone. Um, so if you just leave the title screen on, you'll get demos of certain sequences from the game to give you a kind of feel for how it plays. It's got a, an okay bit of music from Wally Bebben. I think this is the first time we've seen Wally Bebben in it. Yeah, I think it might be. Uh, I think it is. I don't think we've seen him before yet, but we're obviously going to see a lot more of him. So, so it's an okay. It's a nice opener for him. There are options for one and two players um, and consideration for how it progresses with a get ready screen and things like that. And there's this, like, this little interstitial sort of staticky screen as well, which you uh, press fire to sort of get through. And it waits for you to sort of say you're ready. You have to press fire. And that's quite nice. It's not just don't jump in and throw you in it like that. In game itself, the UI is pretty simple. It's just across the top of the screen. It lists your score your lives and what level you're on um, and that's it uses the rest of the screen for the game because there's a lot quite a lot on there because you've got this split screen display um so you know, you know take note those games that use up massive amounts of screen with pointless reminders of the game's name things like design apps and all those kind of things like that where they just waste waste space with pointless stuff um and this ui is the same for both parts of the game so it's got a nice consistency to it um obviously it's been you know you don't need much more than that. Number of lives in your score. What else do you need? The, the you know the game itself is just self-explanatory, and you, you progress through it. The visuals are pretty good. I thought they're all right. It's got very nice split-screen scrolling in the shooter section. Really smooth and fast. And 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 not on 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 top of that, it's got parallax scrolling on the lower half to give depth to the level. And that's really quite impressive, I think, on a split screen, you know, split screen with parallax levels. That's you know, that's 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 some going, and I think that's actually you know, should, for its first game as well, that, that should be you know, gives uh, some mention to that. And this is quite a well designed game. You know, it's 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 okay to play, and it's in both sections work. The platform is they've got that sort of three D ish depth to the platforms, kind of like I don't know, uh, Castles of Doctor Creep, I guess is one that springs to mind. Better drawn than that, but that kind of three D depth. And your main sprite and that other mon- monsters, yeah, it's, they're all right. They're unusual, but they're inoffensive. They, they, they work. They, they they suit the game. There's nothing bad. The, the monsters themselves are kind of weird in, in the way that they are. Because like I said, they look like ogres or weird sort of alien creatures, but they kind of work. It's all right. The thing is, those monsters, if you get them in 
the levels, you can't shoot them. So that's why it's imperative that you want to get rid of them by shooting the, you know, shooting the sources in the first part of the section. There's nothing wrong with the game, really. And it all works exactly as it intends to. My thought on it, though, is I'm just not sure it needed the sanction style split screen in the main shooting part of the game. I'm not sure it really needed that. As I'm not sure it adds anything to the mix other than the need to have your eyes moving like a chameleon to try and keep track of everything um, and kind of muddies up the controls a bit. I found myself dying due to not looking at the bottom screen and enemies moving in that 3D space. And it's it's very not very easy to track across the dual greens dual screen setup so i found that i was trying to shoot stuff but i wasn't wasn't right on the bottom level i wasn't light in line with them and then holding down the fire button to move myself up and that by, by that point the aliens had kind of got on top of me and killed me because they moved into me and I, and I found it more annoying after the more i played it i kind of just wanted a more simpler either just do it top down like iridium or side on and this was kind of a problem we had with sanction as well we, we, i'm not sure that this viewpoint really works or adds much to it you know sometimes less is more and i think that if this had just offered a top down or side on view it probably worked better for me maybe you know some other people might go no no i really liked it i just found the controls offered offered feel too fiddly to and then you know in control properly because sometimes i'd be shooting moving up and down but then i'd notice that because i'm shooting and moving at the same time i'm moving up and down on the bottom screen as well moving left and right because that's how it works because it thinks i'm doing control there so that's my main bugbear with this the rest of it's fine i, I quite like the platform sections they're more like puzzle puzzle levels so I, I you know quite enjoyed making my way through them and once i got the hang of them i could progress through them pretty quickly i got quite far into it and i, I did enjoy it but i never felt in control in those shooting sections and found myself dying quite a lot there annoyingly if you can get your head around that though i think there's a really decent game here it's te- like i said it's technically proficient and it offers a fair bit of challenge so i'd say the score the 86 percent is probably about right i don't think it quite hits the sizzler but as a first first outing this is technically solid well programmed looks good sounds good plays well in the fact of like everything works as it should there's nothing bad here and and it might get a bit repetitive after a while just doing the same thing but there's only eight levels and i think if you got to the end and you finished it i think you'd feel like you'd, you'd i think it feels like a game you could you could probably get you get, get yourself through which is good so yeah I, I was all right with this 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 one bad never played before never heard of it good start i thought to the second half what did what did you think yeah i'd, I'd never played this game myself actually i'd never even heard of it so I thought uh, it was quite intriguing. I, I really liked its sort of slinky mix of shooter, Iridium, Sanction sort of stylings in the, in the initial shoot 'em up part. I like the fact that it just shoot, it just you were just shooting from the get go and you were just controlling it and navigating it in that space. I liked when you landed and you got to the sort of impossible mission style levels. The graphics in this game are genuinely really good. Yeah, the sprite, some of the sprite details in the mission, sorry, in the impossible missions sort of sections are really, really good. I really liked this game. It was really good fun. It's a good blast. The graphics and the gameplay are really good. It was a really good pace. It moved, the shooting up part moved around in the kind of right way. The landing part, yes, there is a little bit of faffing about, but once you get to grips with that, there was just more dynamics to the game than I thought there would be. I thought this was going to be a crappy side-scrolling shooter with a sort of UFO-type looking sprite. I was actually very impressed with the, the way it played out. The sound of the music sound and the music were also really good as well um this is a quite a good game for this for for the full full price and especially when you consider that the platform sections have got quite a lot to them the graphics are really good in them um yes it's very um, impossible mission but it's it's of that genus and there's nothing wrong with that this is quite a nice mix of the two things it sort of almost doesn't work but there's enough there for it to kind of get away with it I don't think I would have bought this back in the day. I don't think it would have ever been a game that I actually went out and got. But for 10 quid at 86%, I think that's about right. I thought this was pretty good. The graphics are good in this game. 
the look and the feel and the scrolling and the technique and the code are all really good. Yeah. Um, and, and the graphics inside of those um, impossible mission sections with your little sort of sprite and the, and the kind of graphics on the sort of big characters and the, and the sprites that you're up against. I thought that was genuinely impressive. So I really liked Optopolis. I thought it was good. Worthwhile little uh, game and unheard of for me. I liked it. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Nice to see it. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with any of that. I think, I think, yeah. I think, I think the review was bang on with that one. Nice. Nice to see something. Un- nice to see something just come out of nowhere from someone, you know, and, and also work and do what it says in the tin. Good. There we go. It's Octopolis. We like that. Let's move along into our next one. Will we like the next one? Graham, time for you to put on your mask and tell us all about <laughs> mask. So Mask, M-A-S-K, was a 1985 French-American animated television series based on the Kenner action figures. So it's another action figure turned cartoon turned advert thing animated in Japan by Ashi Productions and DIC or Dick Asia. That's what they're called. I didn't make that up. Fair enough. So MASK, which is an acronym for the Mobile Armored Strike Command, is a special task force led by Matt Tracker, who operates transforming armored vehicles in their ongoing battle against the criminal organization Venom, that is, the vicious evil network of mayhem, with an emphasis on superpowered helmets, (laughs) for now, for now, um, (laughs) called MASKs, which are worn by the characters of both factions, so they have these superpowered helmets. Venom's primary goal was obtaining money through either robbery, extortion, counterfeiting, kidnapping, or attempted attempting to steal historical artifacts. They're just general bad stuff. Mask always, always are there to foil their plans. So the game then, that's that's Mask. And it's basically a toy cartoon of the 80s. Think He-Man, think Thundercats, think those things. It was, it was one of those. Yes. In its uh, branding. Okay. And just as an aside... Not one that had massive currency, I don't think, really in the UK, but okay. So this game was another another Gremlin graphics game. Um, concept by T. Porter, K. Bulmer, and S. Gregg. I don't know their names. I'm guessing Tom Porter, Kevin Bulmer, and Steve Gregg. Um, the coder was A.D. the Bear. Was it you, A.D.? It was. Yes, it was. I thought it might be. And Richard. I was um, very hairy back by... then. <laughs> hairy back. Um, <laughs> I was just hairy. I was hairy back. I was not... <laughs> I wasn't hairy front. I was just hairy back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the graphics are by Kevin, John, Terry, and Sue. Good old Kevin. Like the Rod Jane and Freddie of the graf- game yeah. graphics world. They just came <laughs> Absolutely. in. Absolutely. They did a did dance while thing. doing them. <laughs> title screen, Kevin Bulmer. Good old Kevin Bulmer. I'm guessing the graphics and graphics, Kevin and title screen, Kevin are the same. Musician, Ben Daglish. So in this game, the Mask HQ has been surrounded by the forces of Venom. All but one of the Mask agents have, somewhat inconveniently, been thrown into a vortex, leaving them lost in time and or space. Bummer. Um, In this game, you play the role of Matt Tracker, like I said, the leader of the the team. Um, And your mission is to rescue your seven lost agents and their four... um, From their four... Sorry, rescue the seven lost agents from their four different time and space prisons the game has you controlling your thunderhawk car vehicle that's a very elaborate name for something that looks nothing like a thunderhawk car vehicle <laughs> looks to me like a lollipop um through the multi-scrolling landscape of each zone dodging attacking enemies such as dinosaurs and stuff in the prehistoric zone for example to ufos and such in the future zone shooting at things and flying over stuff to complete a level you must find the missing agent and their mask the source of their power to do this you must locate a scanner and it's for access keys, which are scattered around. Then you use the scanner to find the missing hiding eight. Uh, sorry, the missing agent. Pick him up, find his mask, 
and then head to the time vortex to go to the next time zone, which will load. Find all the seven agents, and then you can attack the Venom base, the destruction of which will allow you to go home for a nice slice of pot pie with some pickle. That's what I thought. Um, I like to think there's a decent end to these things. <laughs> it's all about the pickle. It's all about the slice. Pot pie and a bit of pickle. Um, all about so the pickle. This game... Uh, so it's based on a big, it's a, I say a big license, another toy license from you know from this stuff and another Gremlin game. So the title screen when you load the game is busy. It's a really busy screen, <laughs> and then some, um, and loads of text. It's just text and there's no logos. There's no the mask has got logos and branding and stuff like that. There's none of that. It's just text. It's just text. It's really dull. So the game itself is a bit of a it's a, it's a bit nothingy really. You scroll around a bland brown again uh, landscape. In the kind of a, a lollipop-looking thing. I don't know, a vehicle of some description. It doesn't look like a car. Picking up things as you sort of scroll around and manoeuvre around in this kind of 3D-esque landscape. Avoiding the enemies, which we'll come to, because that is very difficult to do. The controls, uh, your car moves kind of weirdly in this. Your vehicle moves weirdly. So there's a kind of a weird rotational inertia, for want of a better description. So you can't just move in the direction you want to go. You have to sort of sort of, sort of sludge your way into those, into those directions. There's a decent play area in the game. The main area of the screen is where you play the game, but it's, the map is bitty, and it's, it's more about catching yourself on the edges of things. The collision in this game is annoying and frustrating and difficult because you've got to navigate around this thing. It feels like an Avenger game. It's like the Avenger engine with some of its comparative parts switched off and i suspect it probably is a bit of that because that was also gremlin it's a similarity to this way this works it's a bit of a top-down maneuver yourself around the sort of maze gaunt almost style really of almost like avenger one might say mm-hmm. um with a different kind of character set okay i think there is a bit of that i'm pretty sure there is the play area is decent and the map is bitty but you, you do find yourself catching on the edges of things the collision in this drives you mad because you've got to try and navigate yourself yeah. at one point you're trying to navigate yourself up this tunnel and you've got to sort of move to the left and move to the right and it's just it's just awful and then you've got to come back down the tunnel later and you, you can't avoid the enemies and you you run out of energy really quickly. The sounds in the game are kind of obvious shooty sounds that you'd expect. And it just play okay. Uh, but it's tedious to think that this is the same thing you're going to be doing over and over. You've got to find the five things and the three areas. And there's the street. I know there's only three scenarios in this. Uh, sorry, I know there's only um, seven agents in this. But seven agents in this area, you've got to find them. Find the four things to unlock the keys. Boring, boring, boring. Now, the thing is for me, I don't know a lot about the mask license. I don't. But I can tell you what I know from experience with C64 licenses. This is a waste of a license because I know that there's more to the mask license than just wandering around a, a landscape looking for masks and looking for people. They've attached the idea of this to such a bland game idea that it defies it beggars belief. But I think the reality is that they've attached this to a game engine that they had already and just tailored it to suit mask. This was no more game designed than anything else, no more than that. For me, this felt like they already they ordered a game engine that could adjust the sprites, make it almost basically fit in a reasonable time frame, which is why it's got the same people that have been involved in almost all the Gremlin games to some extent. There's nothing new here to ask. There's nothing new. There's nothing masky about this mask game. This could be any old game. And I find that frustrating mm. um, for the same reason that Thundercats doesn't work and all the other games that doesn't work. This is derivative and nonsense. Just apply and take a bit of time to and then analyze the license that you're making into a game and make it about those things. The mask license, I'm sure, involves masks and powers and superpowers and stuff. Don't make it wandering around a gauntlet style game in a dull environment 
looking for something to do, which is inevitably this game is what it's all about. And I found that quite frustrating in the end. So um, dull, 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 dull and boring. What about you? Yeah, it's another toy to game conversion that suffers the fate of most of them. And it just isn't very good. And for having four people work on the visuals, it's quite ugly as well. It's very brown. And the main car sprite, well, it actually took me a while to notice it was a car sprite, not some kind of, I don't know, you said a lollipop. I thought it was some character laid down. It looks really weird. It looks unpleasant. It's got really poor color choice and it's really chunky. Blue and red, pale blue and red, pinky red. It's awful. Don't put those two colors together. Yeah, it's not great at all. The game itself feels very unrewarding as you career about and get bothered by pesky tanks or whatever and shoot them or bomb them. And it's also possible to screw yourself if you don't know to place a bomb at the blockage near where you start um, and just use them to blow up the cars and planes that attack you instead, which is what I did first of all, and thus ran out of bombs and then couldn't blow up the the, the, uh, the blockage, which leads you up. You said that narrow bit where you have to go up. So first few goes, I was like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I going? And then I noticed it. I was like, oh, do I have to put a bomb? Then I went looking for a bomb, but I'd used them all up. So it reminded me of Avenger in that respect, and you're probably right. A similar thing that it had to do with that, where you you know you run out of keys, so you couldn't progress. Games should not block progress through the player using what is offered to them. You know you could you could have the bomb the bomb sorry on a spawn rate from someplace, so you can always get another one. Now that will also tell the player that I that, that item is necessary to progress and not just for casual use. So you're going to need to think about, oh, this keeps respawning. Is there a reason here? I need to maybe probably need to use it. Not just, oh, you've used them all up. Tough. Your fault. We didn't tell you, but tough. So even when I did get through and wandered up the narrow gulch, it was more brown and being bothered by a helicopter, which reminded me of Rambo's last section. It was like, ugh. Anyway, for, for me, the floaty controls and lackluster visuals and just dull g- gameplay soon had me reaching for the off switch. It's not a terrible game. It's just 100% nondescript. And I, I didn't really get on with it. And no. uh, just nothing really. And, and why is each level a separate load? That I couldn't. I couldn't, there's, there's not I couldn't exactly that much because, on them, and they're not that no, massive. No, they're not. They're not massive, and they're not graphically intense. It's just no. I don't. I don't get it. It didn't feel. This is not a mask game. This is not. It doesn't shout no, mask. I don't know. It didn't. It looked like. I mean, that backdrop is proper Terra Cresta esque. Yeah, um, it is. But Terra Cresta has everything in one load. I don't it's get a, it. I'm, I am sure they've just used an engine they already had, and they've just malformed it into this nonsense. So yeah, you're probably right. I didn't like it. No. Not mask was not for me. There we go. Or you. There we go. That's mask. Probably better than an X one though. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say Jesus. might be. Might be. Uh this is uh gunboat. Um eight ninety five from Piranha and this got a whopping twenty percent. Oh, my word. So let's start with some facts. So Gunboat was made by Five Ways Software. You remember them. They did Cat Trap, Strike Force Cobra, (laughs) and The Astonishing Adventures of Mr. Weems and the She-Vampires. Oh, God. Yes, them. They're back. This time providing us with a spot spot of riverboating as we make our our way along the river, blowing everything up in the quite appalling gunboat. Uh, Yes, this carries on the the already low bar of quality and then some. So you know you're in for quality when the title screen is the UI at the bottom for the game at the bottom and the expanded characters that just say R to redefine keys and S to start a game. This is the antithesis of that mask game where that yes. mask game was just so full of stuff. This is like, no, nothing. 
What it also tells me is that this is a port from the Spectrum, as that's how I think of Spectrum title screens. That big, chunky, you know, redefined keys, yada bladder. Yeah. It looks like a Spectrum game to me. Games built for the C64, from the ground up, say, press fire to start usually, as they know you have a joystick. You know, this mm. this doesn't. I mean, not that being a Spectrum port makes it bad. No, the game being terrible, that's what makes it bad. <laughs> Um, anyway, once you pressed S or redefined your keys and then pressed S, the game starts. Um, you control, sorry, you control a hydrofoil gunboat. You, you are equipped with machine guns, and by pressing the keys one, two, or three, you can fire torpedoes, homing missiles, or drop death charges. You control the gunboat by pressing up and down to speed up and slow down and left and right to rotate the direction. The game is presented in a pseudo 3D side-on view, forced sort of 3D perspective view, like Renegade, with depth to the river you are on. Um, as soon as the game starts, you are set upon by helicopters, but these can be taken out with your homing missiles. Pressing forward to get some speed, sees your boat start to lurch forward, whereupon gun emplacements from the banks will start shooting at you and the mines will try and blow you up. If you navigate past these, subs will surface and ships will start to attack. There are different routes to try and move onwards, and the point of all this is to infiltrate the enemy's network of waterways and blow up all their naval bases. On the UI, um, at the bottom of the screen, you've got your fuel, your health, your rev counter for how fast you are going, how many missiles, torpedoes, and mines you have left, your health, I already said that, uh, and the engine temperature. Uh, sorry, and the engine temperature. Uh, if you run out of health, it's game over. You run out of fuel, game over. Your engine overheats. Yep, game over. Uh, you can dock at bases along the way to refuel and get health back and more ammo, but you will be unlikely to do this. Do this as the game is just fundamentally terrible. So if we talk mm-hmm. about the visuals, it's uh, it's before we get to the visuals. So it's slow and it's clunky to play. Uh, from a control point of view, it takes an age for your ship to respond to anything, any controls, turning left and right, slowing down, speeding up, just. It, it, it takes ages for it to, to, to respond it's too big on the screen as well so and ju- you just get hammered by the enemy all too often so uh, helicopters respond and subs keep coming up it's just ridiculous and, and really unfun what's worse though is the scrolling actually it's not probably worse but one of the worst things is the scrolling it is atrocious oh God. it's both jerky and late um, be, before suddenly lurching a full screen ahead. So quite often you'll be forcing the screen to scroll by, but to scroll by being on the right side of the screen, sort of pushing it so it's scrolling to the right. Or maybe if you go into the left, if you've gone up the walkway and you're heading leftwards, you'll be on the left side, right against the far edge. Um, you'll be getting shot by stuff you can't see before the game it kind of realizes this and, and sort of hurriedly sort of lurchly scrolls further across to the right or left to, to show you more. And, and it's awful. It's really bad because you you know you shouldn't be having that happen. But the way that this scrolls is is painful to watch. It's really awful. The graphics are rubbish. They're just terrible. They're grey, ill-defined sprites with um as, as your gunboat. The way it scrolls around. The things on the shore, are, uh, you know, kind of okay-ish, but they all just look really blurry and ugly and you know just badly drawn. The backdrop itself is just the worst kind of like you know. T- three-year-old drawing a green hill with blue sky and some black silhouettes for buildings which don't look like anything and everything else is just blocky and horrible i thought this was terrible i didn't i didn't play it for very long because it was just appalling to play we're still in episode one for 1988 and we already have uh, a contender for sunday best this will be up there this was dreadful it's terrible on all accounts and it was nine pound nine pound shocking uh, crazy this certainly is no fun boat that's for sure <laughs> it's not even a bun boat. I'm not even going to give it the bun boat pun because it's dreadful. This was one of the worst things I've played in a long time for the fact that it was nine quid. 
purely broken. And it's maybe all right on the Spectrum or the Amstrad, which is obviously where it originates from. But whoever whoever has ported this to the C64, the C64 has, you know, as you've rightly said a number of times, a register for smooth scrolling. I don't it get does. it. I don't, I don't understand when they do it, when this happens. There's no reason for this. And that, that lurch, when you get to a certain point, it just kind of goes, moves, moves forward. Oh, unpleasant to play and unpleasant to experience and nine quid. 20% was too kind to this. Too kind. What about you? What a horrible game. And for full price, honestly, this is a finger in the bum cheeks, isn't it, this one? <laughs> Nasty, blocky, horrible sprite, which I guess kind of looked like a boat if you really squint and think about it. Terrible, terrible scrolling. Really bad controls. The controls on this were just stupid. Really just bad. Combined with the classic impossible difficulty level, which, so you're never going to get through this game in a billion years ever. It's just a horrible, horrible experience. Add to that the crappy sound effects. Just no, 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 no. It's just not good. It's frustrating that this is how 1988 might begin to some extent. It's just a horror show of a game and a money grab at best. It's just crap. Utterly, utterly crap. I've got no more to say about it. You summarised the game perfectly well. I literally hated it. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought it was abysmal and terrible. But everything. We're in 1988 now. If you can't smooth scroll something on a C64, then don't try. Leave. Go somewhere else. Go for a poo. (laughs) But don't do this. Because this crap. Yeah, go drop your own gunboat. Well, in 1988, I was coding... Um, stuff myself by this point in the C64 and I could smooth scroll stuff easily. It's easy to do when you've got a register that does it. Yeah. Just get lost, Gunboat, you stupid piece of crap. <laughs> yep. There we go. That's Gunboat. Awful. Worst one of the... Dog egg. 1988. <laughs> the first dog egg. Proper dog egg, yeah. Real dog egg. Yeah, real. Oh, go on. We've got one more left. Let's move on and let's get into that. And Graham, uh, we've got a sizzler to finish off with. This is Combat School. Tell us all about it. Okay, this is a uh, <laughs> copyright Konami. Producer was DC Ward. Coder was Alan Short, Dave Collier. Graphics, Sean Ridings and Simon Butler. The title screen was Simon Butler. This is a conversion of the somewhat obscure trackball-controlled Konami Arcade from 1987, also known as Boot Camp in the US for obvious reasons, I guess. I don't think I've ever seen the original arcade before anywhere, have you? I think I have, yeah. I think there was somewhere in Cleethorpes that had it. I think there was. You're making it up because it doesn't exist. No, I I genuinely don't know. An interesting footnote, by the way, Konami themselves later released the Commodore 64 version in North America, under the boot camp title, but as late as 1989. Okay. Shocking. Anyway, the goal of this game is to work your way through seven military-inspired events slash trials um, in order to graduate from the combat school and then be sent on a final rescue mission. Each event is principally a waggle affair on the C64 on the arcade. I don't get how they controlled it because it was a trackball. I don't know. I don't. I never played it. I don't know. It sounds confusing and difficult. I think you anyway. just have to roll it really fast in the direction. I, I, I think. I, I, I don't want to think about it because it sounds. It made. <laughs> it actually made my arm and wrist ache trying to con- trying to do this game when I played. Yeah, it, it did me podcast. as well. So you got these uh, seven military-inspired events trials. Now these uh, military-inspired events trials are of a similar. Thing. So the first one is the obstacle course. Here you've got to waggle left and right and use your fire button to jump because you've got to jump over walls, jump across equipment and eventually reach a series of monkey bars as we call them in the UK. I'm not sure what they call them themselves. 
horizontal ladder is apparently what they call them elsewhere. Monkey bars it is. And you've got to obviously waggle the joystick, you gain speed, jump fire, and you've got to waggle, essentially waggle and jump to get to the end in the fastest time possible prior to the time which would otherwise disqualify you. And if you do that, then you'll get to the next round. Bear in mind, you only get one life at this. So if you, if you fail at this point, you're out. Yep. That is tough thing number one. Yep. So the next, if you make it through the obstacle course, the next one is the shooting gallery. By the way, these follow the, uh, these are a facsimile of the arcade levels. So these, there's no difference between this and the arcade. No, there's no. subtle differences, subtle tonality differences. I'll talk about them when I get to them. So when if you finish uh, the obstacle course, you're onto the shooting gallery. You've got to hit 35 targets. Those targets appear for a short time and they pop up and you've got to basically shoot them. Now, the problem here is that um, this suits itself nicely to a trackball type mm. of controller. It does not lend itself nicely to a joystick, but they do pop up the same places each time. When you figure that out, you'll get through 35 of those. And if you do that, you're onto the Iron Man race, which is the next challenge. Now, this is a vertically scrolling track and it's covered in rocks puddles and canals and you've got to sort of jump over those things so you've got to actually waggle up and down waggling up and down is a really difficult thing to do yeah i don't know why but it really is it's massively it's massively hard it's, it's so difficult <laughs> i don't know why left and right waggling i was that was bad enough up and down i was a total crap fest it was awful <laughs> yeah. i couldn't do it i don't know why i'm just not an up and down waggler this tells me a lot about my own teenage life and my own <laughs> sense of well-being, but it doesn't matter about that. So the idea is that you've got to waggle up and down and you've got to move the joystick left and right to avoid the various sort of hazards and traps that are on the Iron Man race. It's things like jumping over sand pits and obstacles and things like that. When you get to the last area, you've got to swim or you can find a canoe, but you've basically got to swim. It's an Iron Man race. So you've got to sort of navigate those things. But in the top-down top tradition in the arcade, this splits into two screens. And you either play the computer AI or you play your two-player opponents. Mm. It doesn't do that in the C64 version. It's just it's always on one screen, as far as I could ascertain. Yeah. Um, so I don't quite know how that works anyway. But either way, that's that's the limit. One one of the mini limitations. After you've reached the Iron Man end and you've you've, you've done it, which by the way, if you do that on the C64 with the up and down waggling, you know, bless you because you're that's, that's you're a saint. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I, it's so hard to do. I don't know why, but it is. It's the up and down, but also having to steer left and right. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, it's just, it broke my brain. Yeah, it's, I couldn't do it. <laughs> anyway, after that, you're on another shooting gallery. This time, you've got moving targets, which are like mini tanks, which flash in. Again, this is almost impossible on a joystick control. And remember, if you don't do this, you're out. So it's not like you've got lives or a challenge. You're out. And that's very, very unforgiving. The arcade logic of that does not apply well here. You needed lives. You needed chances. Yeah. You needed opportunity because going back to the shooting gallery and the obstacle, sorry, going back to the obstacle course, then the shooting gallery, then the Iron Man is unforgiving and painful for this. Anyway, if you make it through that, you then get to the arm wrestling. This is a solo game where you've got to, basically waggle yet again um, to sort of control the way that you can do the arm wrestling. Basically, you've got to pull off your opponent. <laughs> Sorry, what? You've got to pull off your opponent in this game to win. Uh -huh. Anyway, we're not going to dwell on the arm wrestling, but basically it's more waggling, essentially. If you get through that, you get shooting gallery three. You get the idea that there's, for me, I felt there's a little bit of cop-out here because it's three levels of this are basically the same anyway. In this particular shooting gallery, you've got to shoot the targets to some of them which you are not allowed to shoot and i can tell you what if you get through shooting gallery three it's a miracle if you've actually made it to this point and got through that it's a miracle because it's so hard with one life almost impossible if you get through that anyway maybe you do maybe you don't you get through that then you've got close combat with your instructor 
um, which is where you've got to basically, and now there's a little bit, it leans a little bit on different film titles here. There's a little bit of Officer and Gentleman about this. There's a little bit of sort of the, that, sort of that, the films that are around at this time are leaning into this. So a little bit of Officer and Gentleman, as I say, a little bit of the Kubrick movies in here as well, a little bit with the mm-hmm. boot camp and the something else. There's a little bit of that, but either way, you've got to fight your instructor, which is a, kind of a side on sort of beat em up affair-ish, where you're sort of, Basically, got to just punch and keep hitting your opponent. It felt a bit like they'd thrown in the engine from uh, Yao Kung Fu in here to me. Um, yeah. So, and okay, it's sort of, it is what it is. But the arcade has it as well. It's the same difference as the arcade. It's, no, it's not like this is differentiating from the arcade a lot or anything. That's the same difference. So if you make it through that, which would be a miraculous thing if you do, then you get sent on the secret, separate loaded rescue mission. The rescue mission sees you entering a sort of building and you've got to basically walk to the left in a sort of almost a Kung Fu Master slash Green Beret style and beating up the enemies as you come across them in order to sort of get make your way to the end in order to rescue the person that you're in there with. And if you do that within the time limit, and, and the time limit is really tight, and uh, you do it without losing and being getting hit or anything else, then you'll get through that. And that's the end of the game. Now, I can tell you, in all fairness, the chances of you doing that are a billion to one. <laughs> Because this game is so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. If you get through those seven levels and make it through the first one second of level eight, I'll be amazed. But okay, maybe people out there that did and did that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a decent arcade conversion and they've done a responsible job of converting it from trackball to joystick. Um, and I say responsible because I wanted to say reasonable, but I think there are problems with converting it from one format to another. Um, the least of which is that it sort of doesn't quite work in some areas. All of the levels are there in this uh, conversion, which is kind of impressive. And the graphics are really good. In fact, in some areas, I'd say they're very close to the arcade. Now, I compared the arcade with the C64 version, and there is not a massive amount between them. They're good, don't get me wrong. And obviously, the arcade has little, little advantages. But generally speaking, these are very similar games. And so... It looks the part. Now, audio-wise, the in-game music is actually the same music as in the arcade. And actually, I think it's better. I think the, I think the Martin Goldwood is a better version of the interstitial music of the arcade. The opening <laughs> theme, however, is some kind of sample-intensive weirdness that I can't ever figure out if I like or not. I flip between liking it and not liking it. I can't, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
becomes to the point where it's quite unforgiving. I think the shooting graphics and the shooting levels are less effective than the, than other some of the other ones, but even so, the running events seem to be the best ones and the arm wrestling is perhaps the weakest in the fight with your uh, instructor. I think the overhead running with the up and down is painful, actually, physically painful, <laughs> having tried it. Yeah. And I didn't get that it was an Iron Man. I didn't quite understand where it was coming from. These things don't quite make sense. It feels like you're going through a lot of trial to get through to the final bit, which the payoff does not really feel like it's there. If you don't quite make it to some of the end of the levels, if you're sort of sh- if you're nearly in the time, you're nearly in the score range, you can sort of enter a sort of a, a mini stage where you can do pull-ups by waggling the joystick again to do kind of pull-ups and stuff like that. And that that's a nice touch, so that all is not lost if you don't quite make it. But I can tell you, you won't make it even if you get to that stage. I found this game visually quite amazing considering it's it starts off so well that the opening level bear in mind that it is annoying when you start the opening level it just starts so it's not that you get a ready set go it's like go as soon as it loads go you gotta waggle immediately i find that a little bit annoying but Mm -hmm. okay those levels where you're running and you're jumping and you do that thing that's fine it is tiring the levels where you're going up and down are really weird and it gets weirder and weirder as it goes along to the point when if you make it to the final mission if you make it past the instructor fight i'll be amazed because it's it is like fighting something in yao kung fu and there's no real skill involved you just have to you know get strikes randomly while you can if you don't well you know more fool you there's no skill to it. It's, it's just random luck. And if you get to the sort of final mission, it is just a kind of a really weird Green Beret variant. But with it's more Kung Fu Master than Green Beret, and it doesn't quite work either. So but I suppose the, the main takeaway from this is that all of this is in the C64 version. It is all there. The graphics, the music, the sound and the sound effects, the visuals, every level is there, including the extra level. Slight variation that you have to rescue the president in the arcade, but in the C64 version, it's just a mission to rescue a person. But either way, the whole conversion is there. Now, I think that as a conversion, this is one of the one of the best C64 to sorry arcade to C64 conversions I think I've seen. Because if you look at it from a pure arcade to C64 conversion, everything is here. The graphics, mm. the audio is actually I think in some instances it's better. The opening level graphics are kind of really good. The music is all better. The music and the sounds are better than the arcade, all of it. The graphics are basically the same, if not better. Everything's better. The problem really is for me that this arcade game was never really that good. It's just it's a derivative of a hypersports that nobody wanted with an extra level thrown at the end to make it kind of interesting, which in the C64 version, you're unlikely to ever see. So I think that there's it's a great idea in terms of its conversion. Somebody thought, actually, this would make a great C64 conversion. And it does put the actual game itself lacking, lacking in the key things that make it really interesting. So in the end, the most interesting quirky thing about it is that you can say is that the title screen's good. The, the music has that weird sample kind of crazy stuff going on from Martin Galway, which is really weird. But you either like it or you don't. And the first level does look like the original arcade, but it descends slowly into a graphic kind of style, which is not that, that much fun. Um, and I played this quite a bit, and I remember never getting that far because it's so hard. And of course, the difficulty is really what kills it. So that was what I thought of this game overall. Um, what about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page. I mean, the waggle is strong in this one, isn't it? Yep. After the success of Hypersports, you know, and that was a good conversion as well, very good conversion. We get similar sort of treatment. Konami's next arcade joystick bash, or whether it was the next one, I don't know. Except that in the arcade, they shoot a trackball, as you've said. Um, don't know. I think what they've done is, that, as you've rightly said, they've, they've man- they have actually they've converted the trackball uses to waggle, and it does work. So there's no real problem with that. But as you <laughs> rightly said, waggling up and down, just no, I, can't, I couldn't 
just couldn't do it. Just I couldn't. No matter how I turned the joystick, sort of think, well, if I do it that way, then I can do that. But I've got ah, oh, just my no, just wasn't working. So I couldn't get past the Iron Man race. I could only ever get there, which you know, it's a shame, really. I do like the I like the combo of the run and jump in the first one. You can get really good at that. It feels very satisfying to really nail that and you know and, and ace it and stuff. But I thought the firing ranges were good once you learn. You know, it it is like you said what you said. It's a learning process, so you don't have that reaction of the being able to whoosh, 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 with the trap ball as you would do in the arcade. But you can figure out where they're coming, and that's all right. Just the Ironman race. I guess if you get your head around it and you manage it, there's a lot of just would be fun to be had here. I think you're right. The uni- the graphics are uniformly, you know, very good. You're right that they start off better than the end. I think not quite as detailed as the arcade, but they, they've got that ocean look. We'll see it again in I think in Platoon. I think that'll have a that's got a similar graphic style. I think uh, they're well animated. They're very smooth. The scrolling smooth. The gunboat here. Everything's cool. That title screen music though, I really don't like it. I really don't. It's, yeah. uh, I think it's a sample heavy version of I want to be a drill instructor, whatever it was. It's not for me. I no. don't like this period where Galway and Hubbard went all sample heavy. No, it's, I found it weird. I have to yeah, say, yeah, it's, it's not what it's not what I like from a C sixty four music. I like sawtooths and sid waves and whatever you call them. That's what I want. I want. I want all that noises. I don't want bad low bitrate samples just don't do the machine any justice that said though it, it, this is a good game and a, a solid you know it's a decent game it's a solid conversion i think you're right the weaknesses lie in the original arcade machine and what i would have liked if the two-player mode wasn't reliant on qualifying and you just went through the events and see who could win the most that would have been better because you know it would have been more user-friendly because there's no reason why the two-player game can't just be you playing against each other and seeing how far you can get I mean, you could cheat and just put it in two-play mode and just go through them, and it wouldn't really matter how long it took. But, you know, you're not doing yourself any favours. You wouldn't be, no high scores are saved or anything like that. They're only from one-player mode. So that would have been all right. I never even knew there was at that end level. It was only So I've never seen it, so I can't comment on it. But um, I never got there in this. It just gets too hard. The difficulty is its main issue which is a shame, really, because I, I would like to have sort of got through it, but there's just mm. certain control schemes that my brain just can't function with, and that up-and-down waggle is one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, this is all right. One of the better games this week, anyway. I can see why they gave it a sizzler, I think. And it also, supposedly, it also came with a demo of Grisor as well. Okay. Um, so for a value, you know, that would have probably sold, you know. Bit of a value add there. Yeah, exactly. So I could I could see that being nice. So 91%, probably about right for this, I, th- I think. I don't think it's as good as Hypersports. Ironically, no, we also nowhere have, near we, is good. It'd be interesting because we've also got Track and Field this month as well. Konami mm-hmm. released the version of that, so we've also got that to look at. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, the original or uh, you know, arcade waggleathon, I guess, isn't it? So we'll see how that spares. I've got that coming up. It is. But Combat School's all right. It's eight, nine quid. It finally showed that Ocean could. Well, it's, what's his face, isn't it? It's, it's Dave Collier. David it Collier is. makes did, good games. Play game. a lot of it though. How much did you play of this? I could. I couldn't get past the Iron Man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe I just need to put a cheat in and get through that and see the rest. But I try not to play with cheats. In fact, I don't play with cheats because I need, want to try and experience it as close as I can to the original. So I don't play with them. But maybe I'll give it a cheat mode. Considering I could <laughs> get quite far in Green Beret, it's, it's just a control method of upward waggle. I just can't do it. Can't do it. There we go. That's our last one for this week. So we've looked at eight games. Um, we've looked at Driller, which was slow. Ambitious, slow. but slow. Slow. With good music. Uh, we looked at Jack the Nipper 2 in Coconut Capers, which was stupid. ill-advised and stupid. Rainbow Dragon, which was ill-advised, Ill-advised and, and stupid. <laughs> stupid. And Basil the Great Mouse Detective, which was Jack the Nipper 2. 
different different clothes yeah. and ill-advised and stupid <laughs> yeah then we had octopolis which was good we liked good. octopolis good shooter like uh yeah. good original stuff going on there then we had mask which was ill-advised and stupid <laughs> <laughs> then we had gunboat which was worse than ill-advised and stupid which is <laughs> just awful like, honestly, just dreadful no, pixel horror yeah and then finally combat school which was uh just God too damn hard. Control method. Too bloody hard. Up too and down waggling. Hard, yeah. Nobody should ever do that to anyone. No, no. Don't make me waggle my joystick up and down. No, look, if you don't believe me, ask your partner, significant other, to waggle <laughs> your joystick up and down and see yeah. how you feel about that. Or, or if you don't have something to waggle, waggle someone else's. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Just you know, just waggling anything up and up and down <laughs> is wrong. Left and it's right, never going to lead okay. to a pleasurable outcome. No, you're certainly nope. not going to have an Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 you're not um there we go all that's left uh just as ever if you wish to <laughs> what we got actually what we got coming up next week let's have a look next week we got the next i think we've got nine games nine games next week um, yes yeah, nine next week we've got chuck yeager's advanced flight trainer Ooh. uh radius uh. Oh, no idea alternative world games nah <laughs> survivors yeah who knows? Tetris. 40-minute soundtrack from Wally Bebben. I know. Wally Bebben, Wally, Wally Bebben signals his arrival. Uh, then we have uh, Thunder Chopper. <laughs> it better be good for 15 quid. <laughs> Thunder Chopper. Uh, oh followed by Trivial Fruit. That doesn't sound good. Then Trantor, uh, mm, the Sammy Hagar Chronicles. <laughs> um, and then, as noted, we end up on another waggler with Track and Field. You'll yeah, notice uh, as well that the second s- second half of that next week is all T games. It is actually, yeah. Tetris, Thunder Chopper, Trivial Pursuit, Trantor, Track and Field. Yeah, ta 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 ta. Do these things every now and again just to sort of you know make my life more fun. I thought because the first games almost spell out crap, so that'd be hilarious, but they don't. Crass. It's crass. Oh, Crass. Oh, I should look for one with P. I'll do that. I'll have a look for that later. <laughs> um, so that was it. All that's left to be said, um, I believe, uh, is if you wish to support the podcast, uh, we've, this is it. We're into 1988 now. This is going to go on for a while. Um, it's going to take 12 yes. episodes just to get through the first three months. Woohoo! So. <laughs> and I, I think I think that's going to keep us going till October alone, um, or however long. So this one, this year is going to take a while, I think. Um, but if you wish to support us in our ongoing campaign to remove that retro reverie, then you can do so by heading over to our Patreon, which is at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. There are a couple of tiers. There's the basic one, which is just the equivalent of a pound, which is just supporting us and throwing us a pound pound a month or a month, which is really helpful. Um, or there's the higher one, which gets you access to our Discord. You get early uh, episodes uh, access to early episodes you also get the bonus episodes as well uh, so there's so you know that's that's worth it for them alone you get the full versions of these bonus episodes when we do them and some stuff that's going on and things like that so you get to ask us questions as well for our ask the podcast episodes um and just generally have a good time um and you also support us keep help us keep going um and that's really cool that's four pound fifty or your local monetary equivalent <laughs> whatever that is that um yeah so i think that's about it anything else do we need to add or is that it? no not at all no for me i'm done i think i'm done for these we're this, done this so week. that's it 1988 is a go it's on let's see how long this takes probably a while but um <laughs> on that note um i have been adrian mills and i have been graham raddings and you have been listening to Zaps to the Past, and we will not be waggling up and down next week. <laughs> Goodbye. 
Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.